Hello, everyone, and welcome to BXP's Bits and Bobs, episode 59, Farm to Table Vaulting. It's been a long delayed episode, and I'm really sorry about that. We were originally going to come in about two weeks ago, then we tried a week ago, and we had loads of technical problems, um, which, you know, that got deleted. It, it, it doesn't exist anymore on the internet. And it, to be honest, it was the best show we'd ever done. And it's such a shame <laughs> that it no longer exists. Um, it's just out there in the in the ether of podcast history, the number one best podcast ever made in the universe, which is a, is a shame. It's a shame. Uh, and much like the the Tenacious D song tribute, this will be a tribute to that podcast. It's not that podcast. Uh, but joining me today is the Christmas miracle, Richard Worrell. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Here he is. Here he is. And I'm your host, obviously, Ben, as always. Uh, and yeah, it's good. It's good to be back. Fingers crossed we don't have those technical problems we had last time because they were the kind of problems we couldn't do anything about and they could just happen again. I really mm. hope they don't. It would suck if they did. But uh, fingers crossed they won't. Richard has just told me, though, uh, off air that he no longer eats pigs. And I think that's worth no. bringing up at Christmas because I eat even more pigs at Christmas. It's really going to hit home Christmas Day because pigs in blankets, that is a yeah, thing brother. for me. I love yeah. meat. I really yeah. love meat. I just had an epiphany. I thought pigs are socialized creatures. They're intelligent creatures. I wouldn't knowingly eat a chimp or a dolphin or a dog. You can eat a dolphin because they rape people, yeah, rape other dolphins. That's not very nice. So eat dolphins. Okay? I think, yeah, that's fine. Okay. So would yeah. you eat a human rapist? Yes. Yes, I would. It'd be delicious. The the sure. punishment. Yeah, I noticed the phone's ringing there. It's always great timing. We literally just started recording. We've been talking for half an hour prior to recording. And did the phone go off then? No. Not at all. That's, that's how it works. So <laughs> that's it podcast. Will, it will be the wife, and she knows that I'm podcasting. So What a bee. Oh, Unbelievable. Um, you need to sort her out, Richard. Put her in her place. You know, slap her with a pig. <laughs> yeah. I'll put her in the pen. <laughs> No, I respect it, though. I, I work with a vegan. I work with a couple of vegetarians. You know, um, the great thing about, you know, 2018, you can choose that. You know, that's yeah. you can do that. That's absolutely viable now. I um, had some vegan um, burgers yesterday, actually, and they were actually good. So you know, I, I've, this is from a, a burger aficionado. They yeah. were actually fine. I could I could live on them. So are these the ones because there's the, the honest burger chain. Yeah. um do these vegan burgers now which are like imitations of beef burgers like they're they're you wouldn't necessarily know it wasn't beef mm. um supposedly and i was speaking to this this vegan chap i worked with and he was telling me that yeah really really impressive you know because he wasn't always a vegan he could compare um mm. so i was like wow okay i might have to give that a go because why not you know a bit less red meat in your diet that's not a bad thing yeah, so, it doesn't have to be uh, like uh, right, all meat is out now. You can do it by degrees. Just yeah. cutting down is a good thing for diet and for the planet, frankly. Yes, for the environment. I mean, I, I couldn't care less about diet, but I think for, for the environment, uh, yeah, I think that's what the biggest problem is, like the the cattle industry and stuff to do with how much uh, lowlands and stuff, you know, are deforested for, for farming uh, cattle uh, and stuff to that effect, you know, so that that, you know, Let's yeah. be less dependent on red meat. That's not a bad thing. However, it does taste really good. Uh, it does so taste good. But try those made burgers. me hungry just thinking about it. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to go uh, next Iceland. time I'm there. Get them in Iceland. They're called Iceland, um, Iceland No Bull Burgers. I, I, ironic. They've gone from horse to no cows or meat at all in their burgers. That's, yeah. Uh, well. That's a, that's a change. That wasn't their fault, was it? <laughs> I've eaten horse knowingly. So I okay. thought it was pretty good. 
so like you know when when in france you know that that that's quite yeah. common so uh, i have had some horse yeah i i went through the stage where i was trying to eat as many different meats as possible around the world so i've had things like crocodile and alligator like crocodile. and ostrich and bison yeah. and yeah. you know long, a long ass list of different types of meat and uh Wait, yeah it was, um, i've never been to japan so i've never you don't see whale come up very often do you so i have whale meat in well iceland the country rather than mm. in a shop <laughs> either's possible <laughs> <laughs> you know both both are possible but no um no i have not had whale meat so uh, how was how was the whale meat fatty i want to imagine it was fatty no it was served yeah. you you'd think when you imagine a whale it mm. probably comes in big servings right but you just get these really fine little slivers of like ham like um fish and um yeah it tastes i can't quite remember the taste i remember it being a little bit salty a little bit tougher than usual than like you'd expect from like fish meat mm. it's not it's obviously not a fish i don't think whales are fish there's mammals but, yeah yeah but um yeah it's an interesting experience one that i felt quite shit about but then it was already dead it's not like they killed it for me yeah, I mean, I, I, I had a few weeks ago, I went to a wild game night where I had foie gras, which I know a lot of people would uh, oh, yeah. would turn That's their noses up due to the, the way things. Yeah, I mean, but, that, but then again, I could use exactly the same excuse you just used, which was I didn't kill it or yeah. I didn't rear it. So, you know, it's already dead. What's me? But the problem is, you know, they will keep killing and cooking these things if people keep buying them. So it doesn't really thinking... work. I was thinking on dis degrees of scale, like I, my plate of three slices of whale is not going to cause them to go out and kill another one. They've probably got lots of whale left. Mm, I mean, <laughs> mm, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, but I'm, it not, is, trying to, I'm not trying to forgive myself for it. Yeah. It is quite bad. But. To be honest, I would admit my choice of that uh, item off the menu was pure curiosity. I'd never had it before, which is which is one of my biggest weaknesses. When I see something I've never had, I would like to try it. You know, I'm a yeah. foodie. That's yeah. just in my nature. Um, and I, and I'm and I'm always you know, and I don't try and justify it. And I'm just like, man, that that did taste really good. Mm. No, it did. It did taste good. Um, it's not like you get a lot of it, but it was like a little additive thing to this this uh, starter I had, and yeah, it was delicious. So, you know. Mm. Horrible middle-class white men being horrible middle-class white men. Um, you know, that's <laughs> just the way it is. <laughs> uh, should we talk about a bit about what we've been watching in Crossing the Stream? Crossing uh, the Stream. Yeah, so obviously there's stuff on our list here that we talked about a week ago. Uh, but there's yeah. also a few bits that we didn't. I want to mention quickly that I finished Final Space on Netflix. And that's, a, that's this animation, um, sci-fi animation that ostensibly is a comedy. Uh, and it definitely starts quite funny, but by the end, it's full-on heart-wrenching drama. Like Look, you, looks a bit Futurama. It me. does look a bit Futurama, and it starts very Futurama, like mm. farcical comedy characters. But quickly, it's only 10 episodes, but quickly it pivots, and mm. it becomes a sort of thing with elements of humor, but with a very... Uh, high stakes drama element to it and you really start to care about the characters so when things happen to characters uh they die or you know things uh, are left unresolved shall we say by the end um you, you're you're yeah gripped waiting for more very excited to see you know they got a two season pickup from the beginning so there's going to be a second season yeah. and uh no it's it's very good sci-fi 
like I was proper impressed with the sci-fi element of it as well as some of the the, the jokes. Uh, Mooncake, which is this planet-destroying, adorable little green thing that goes around going chukiri chukiri bye chukiri boop like this, doing these. Uh, I want that plush so bad. Mm. He, I love that character. Love him. Uh, the main character Gary goes from this bumbling buffoon-like guy into this sort of reluctant hero who ends up sacrificing everything to try and save people, and, and it's a real arc. Um, no, super, super impressive stuff. Like really, really cool. And the animation is fantastic. And oh, you know, cool. at 20, 20 odd minutes an episode, only ten episodes. Fly oh, power through that. I'm, I'll give that well a watch worth later. Out. Yeah, no, well worth checking out, mate. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Um, and I've, I'm, I know I'm late to this party, but I'm proper hooked into the office US now. What, for uh, the first like, time. Yeah, mate. For the first really? time. Yeah. Oh, that's good, right? It's a good show. Good. I started. So good. I, I caught some of it on uh, Comedy Central the other day, and uh, yeah, I need to watch more of this. It's not on Netflix anymore, though, so I watched the UK version again instead. It's on Amazon. I'm watching it on Amazon, and um, yeah, I, I'm about halfway through season three now. And the other night, uh, the wife was out, and I ended up watching like eight episodes in a row without <laughs> really noticing. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just. Yes, like you watch one episode. It's always put me off back in the day. I'd what you'd watch one episode, especially an early one. You go, oh my god, this is just so uncomfortable. Mm. This is so embarrassing. But once you get past that initial feeling and you get to know those characters, you again, it does that thing where you suddenly find yourself caring, and you and you're like, you actually there's a drama element to it as well as the the silly over the top comedy elements, you know. Yes. And the thing that always I love about Michael, right, and he's the main cringy element, I suppose, but. Yeah he he is the most sort of like you can tell every almost everything he does comes from such a place of love yeah absolutely you, you can't really hate him for his ignorance he yep. does stupid shit that's really offensive all the time and yet and yet you there, know he's no just trying to do the right thing yeah, yeah, yeah no malice never any malice um and yeah so he's just he's just infinitely likable for that you know and that's why there, there are scenes when a characters leave and they talk to him. It's like, oh, you left. He thinks they left because of him. And he's like, no, you were an amazing boss. We, mm. I loved your. You weren't the problem because that's the thing. There is this sense that he's always fighting for those people and he's always doing what he can to try and make the the, the environment better for them, even though it's often the opposite, yeah. which I think is hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, 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 no. I don't know about you, Richard, but sometimes you'll you'll see something he does and you're like, oh, oh God, I I did something like that the other. Day. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that it's was a constant me. worry yeah being in, yep. man in a management role at work it's yep. always a, a thing for me because I, I care about what um happens to my team as well yeah and it's yeah you do sometimes think how brent am i being how michael scott am i being it's like are you looking you oh god i literally did i literally did that yeah. Like that, that part of that moment <laughs> i was like that's something i did last week <laughs> i thought that was a good idea um <laughs> Yeah, and you just sort of what it does is it helps you kind of because you get you know after a while uh, I came through the ranks to my position and it was like after a while you start to sort of forget a little bit about what it was like down there and then it helps you put it in perspective and you go to see just helps you see yourself as a manager from the perspective of the people under you and you're like oh god yeah that would come across like a real dick thing even though you're trying to be nice and helpful mm. they're just gonna think you're a twat yeah <laughs> it's just like yeah, <laughs> a good point so it's kind of instructional for every manager out there i, I highly recommend watching it because it helps you helps you look at yourself in uh in better ways mm. so it's 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 incredibly well observed i do love a well-observed comedy that nails real life 
you know it's why <laughs> i like big mouth so much you know it really um, and something that's instructive to your actual employment very good yeah i think it will help me yeah, absolutely <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, what about that, you? What have you? Sorry, go on. Um, that, I was just going to say that that point you made about um, all, what what he does all, always comes from a place of love. That mm -hmm. contrasts really strongly with um, Ricky Gervais and his later shows. Because I was watching extras yesterday, and it really struck me. I didn't really recognise it at the time, first time round. But watching it yesterday, I was thinking, Andy Millman is a really horrible man. And you, you can't quite get the same sympathies um, mm. or the same um, care for the characters as, as you do in the office watching extras because the central character is just so spiteful and malicious and selfish. Thing for me is why why I never got on with the UK office, and I'm not even going to try. I can't. I don't really like Ricky Gervais. Um, I think he's he's good as a stand up and stuff, and I can do that. But I don't like yeah. his acting work. Whereas Steve Carell, you know, is brilliant. I absolutely yeah. love Steve Carell. I love that. It's crazy seeing so many of those cast members that have gone on to do much bigger things as well. Watching it now, and you're just mm -hmm. like pointing out, seeing people. Go, oh, she that one's got her own Netflix show. Uh, that one's doing movies and directing stuff now. You know, that one's did the Hangover trilogy, and you're just like, that's crazy everybody started in this show um mm. and it's uh yeah i just find uh steve crow infinitely more likable than ricky Gervais. sorry yeah, sorry definitely. um so you've got some stuff on your list you did is this the first time seeing ant-man and the wasp or no second time um but i bought it on xbox because it was one of the few one of the um, four you were telling me hd movies that you can get on xbox now and so yeah so it's, still, it's still good um, what more can you say about it? I mean, most people will have seen that by now, wouldn't they? Anyone the only thing I can it? say about that is that, like, normally I'd have had that disc pre-ordered. Yeah. I, I don't have that disc pre-ordered. No. Um, I will own it because I own every Blu-ray and now they've gone 4K, 4K disc of um, the Marvel movies. And I will get it for the collection. Hmm. But I, I thought the film was fine, but, like, infinitely forgettable. Like, just, just... Not I think so. I, I really enjoyed it until the end. And um, Hugh, not Hugh, what's his name? Pim. Pim. Hank yeah. Pim. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Hank Pim, um, his wife, who he rescues from the void, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, that whole thing about the powers that she brings back I was like, what? Yep. I mean, and you're not like mad Marvel person like me. No. Um, so. Yeah, I know that character from, the, and it's they've just completely changed her. It's like, what is the, this? What what's going on? Why is she god level all of a sudden? Mm. It's really strange. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I like I like the ending, ending, the post credit ending bit. I thought that was nice how it tied it into everything. But yeah, yeah, I'll get it. I'll get it. And it's like it's weird because I remember watching the original Ant Man before going to see this and really enjoying it because it was the first time I'd ever rewatched it. Mm. And um, they're good films. They just feel unnecessary. They just don't feel like they are really required in inside the Marvel envelope of, of movies. Um, and maybe that's, well, yeah, maybe that's their strength. If you're looking maybe. for relevant context, yeah, I suppose there isn't any, but it works in and of mm. itself. It's fine. Um, yeah, else... it... Sorry, go on. I was just well, going to say, in, in, in the kind of comic book landscape, there are, there are the big comics that, will be all relevant and connected and the events and stuff. And then, you know, like comic books, there'll be those side stories, which are just character things doing their own little thing off to the side. And that's what Ant-Man of the Wasp feels like. Uh, yeah. And Ant-Man in general, it's like, yeah, he doesn't, he's not trying to do that. So that's fine. 
but at the same time when you've got so many films to see and so many things to do it's like it's the same thing with comics generally you'll have to pick and choose and they're the they're the books that you won't be reading do you know what i mean because you've, you've got others you need to read for the, the main story bit in the middle the main event so it's kind of feels a bit like that like it's the ones that you don't need they know you don't need them but they're perfectly fine they're still enjoyable I don't know. I feel like it adds a bit of relief to the universe. It takes it down a notch, gives you some mm. a bit of a break until it ramps up in the you know the more heavy hitting movies. I guess so. It's got its place, even if it doesn't have any too much of a narrative impact on the whole. I well, I will definitely get it because um, I'm getting really excited about Captain Marvel. So I'm I'm I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm getting ready for that. I'm hyped for that next year, early next year. Solo. Yeah, solo again. I watched this yesterday. Um, another oh. one of one of the other four UHD films I found. So they're only Xbox. Disney movies, aren't they? That's the only yeah, ones that are available. That seems to be, but not all of them. It's really strange. Okay. Um. So yeah, Solo is in UHD on Xbox for anyone that's into that. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't expecting much from it though, so maybe that. This is your first time. Movie. First time watching it. Ah, right. Okay post post infinite discussion of it about and about how meh it was so you yeah. probably had your expectations lowered absolutely yeah so which, i've which, had which, what's the way to do it yeah <laughs> the way I'm to do it moaning about it but yes yeah, uh, some nice fan service in there seeing um... is, that what you, is that how you read it is it <laughs> <laughs> nice fan service let's explain why he's called solo no no don't stop stop <laughs> No, <laughs> God. Let's explain why his blaster is his. No, please stop. Please stop. Please. It's fine. It was. It was nice to see Darth Maul in there. It was nice to see spoilers. Um, is it spoilers now? Yeah, I, I, yeah. It's a huge reveal. Huge reveal at the end of that movie. Oh, but okay, okay. I don't. I don't care because it's solo. I won't. I won't hold it against you. Okay. Um, yeah, it's nice to see Warwick Davis make an appearance. Sure. Um, yeah, I just enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. It's another one. It's, it's like Man the Wasp again for me. It's like I own all the Star Wars for movies on all the best formats. Have I bought a solo yet? Nope. I guess it is like Ant Man. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, sort of downtime movie. But yeah, I, I wasn't expecting a lot, and it delivered a lot more than I thought it would. And Sarah watched. Sarah watched it with me. She enjoyed it too. She would normally say if it was a stinker, but she thought it was good. I um, it's it's not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. It's not like it's mm. poorly made or the effects mm. are shit or the acting is terrible. I mean, nobody ever wants to see Cora again because wow, how necessary was that? But you know, beyond that, it's like yeah, they they, they did a difficult job, which was recasting Han Solo, and yeah. I thought they did that well enough. It's mm -hmm. just it's just too. It's just so fucking unnecessary. And it, and it's like, the problem I think it has is that everybody would be is comparing it to Rogue One. Rogue One, which was a masterpiece of, you don't think this matters. Why why are they doing this? Then you watch it and it's like, holy shit, this recontextualizes the entirety of the original trilogy. Totally. Like, genius, yeah. genius filmmaking. And yeah. it's got some of the best battles ever in Star Wars as well for, for mm -hmm. the dudes like us that love that shit. Yeah. Um, and, yet, and yet Solo just feels like, 
well, we know he's going to meet Princess Leia and fall in love with her. So why are we introducing an earlier love interest? Because we know they don't end up together. Um, (laughs) So there's just so much like shit in there that you're just like going, do I need to know why he's called Solo? Do we need to know where he gets his blaster from? Do we need to know that there's some weird imprisoned AI droid that's actually the brain of the Millennium Falcon now? What the fuck? Like, I did really why? enjoy that character, though. L3 was quality. I thought she was great, but then, oh, but now her consciousness is trapped in a way in which she can't actually express herself in an infinite yes. prison of suffering. <laughs> cool. Lucky her. Um, so it's just, and that's why there's a slightly weird, I want to fuck the ship aspect to Han's relationship with the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Just double weird. Like, what? Oh, and by the way, Lando was fucking her first for real when she was actually a droid. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there's some. There's some places we've oh, gone here. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, but but then there's that awesome Kessel sequence. Yeah. You know, uh, with the big space monster, which is completely bonkers and weird, and mm. but but dark as fuck and like really scary. Like yeah. actually, a, like Cthulhu esque Elder God style space alien, and I was like, Jesus, that is some scary shit. That was yeah. cool. That, that um, is one of the one things from sort of solo law that you think, yeah, it is worth seeing that. The amount that's talked about the doing the Kessel okay. run. Well, it's not talked about much. It's talked about once, but everybody's referred to it since. So it's not really brought up a lot. Not <laughs> if you think the, about it. But you, you no. know, it's something that everyone knows nice. of solo, yeah. isn't it? So yeah, it's nice to go back to that. And the word that I, I will keep bringing up, the worst bit is the name. Because it's like, he has the coolest fucking name in Star yeah. Wars, right? And they make it so fucking lame. Yeah. Why he's called Solo. It's just, oh, well, you don't have family. Mm, Solo. Really? Starbucks (laughs) customer service level naming, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. He's my name is is Smith. Han Smith. Solo. I just spelled it wrong. He's a fucking, oh, man. I'm going to be a great pilot, by the way. I'm going to be a great pilot. Oh, okay. Well, then, oh, yeah, you, I'll send you to the academy. Oh, now you're on Now you're on the ground. You don't actually learn to be a pilot at all. They're saying that, that that ground forces bit with just the throwaway troops who aren't even stormtroopers, that was cool mm. as well. Yeah. Uh, finding out, however, that Chewbacca <clears throat> eats people, bit disturbing. A um, <laughs> little bit disturbing. Uh, but I guess he was really de- like horribly treated. Um, but, you know, there's, a, there's some straight up. He now goes to Iceland. <laughs> just eats the horses and the whales yeah. now it's fine um but no the, the, there's also the great great beckett sort of ancillary characters you know the ones connected in like thandy newton's character really yeah. interesting characters and the pilot with the forearms all killed within like 20 minutes of me yeah i thought that and i was surprised just... that they got rid of thandy newton so quickly and she was she was really interesting i really yeah. liked her character but no she's gone gone move the plot along you know uh, the one bit I like in common with Rogue One, though, right? It's where it doesn't <laughs> shy away from disposing of the, dif- the difference with Rogue One is that they're building a dirty dozen team that knows they're going to have to sacrifice themselves. Yeah. So it's kind of like you. It's a different structure, isn't it? So it's it's an expected part of that formula. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, however, the one bit I liked. I liked Beckett a lot. I liked Woody Harrelson, yeah. and I liked the fact that Han learns to shoot first because of his betrayal. Yes. And I, I, that was, see, that's a character moment that's subtly explained. It's mm-hmm. not forced down your neck like the name it was and the blaster was and all of that stuff. So I thought that was, that was cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And Darth Maul, Darth Maul was fun, completely unnecessary, but fun. Um, yeah. I didn't see that as a big spoiler because it's not like it turns the film around. It's just cool to see, isn't it? Yes. Yes. That, you know, confirmation now in, in, 
the Disney verse, you know, in canon, he survived yeah. post Phantom Menace. Yeah. Know? So that's that's pretty cool. You know, I'm I'm up for seeing some more of that. Why not? Yeah. Okay. So what's Cam? Cam is a Netflix movie. It's just called Cam. C A M. Yeah. Okay. I thought it's it was a standard. Yeah. Oh no. right. Okay. So what's what's um, that? It's about webcam girls, and it's hello. It, yeah, I'm slightly embarrassed to be talking about it. I watched it not for the nudity. I, oh, I, God, 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 I watched God. it for the articles. <laughs> <laughs> Becky really likes Star Wars. <laughs> no, it's um, I I saw that it had some um people involved that had done. Oh, what was that movie? Some of your favorite shows. Get Out. You remember the film Get Out? Yes. Yeah, so I thought it was going to be a horror along similar lines, and it sort of is, um, but nowhere near as good. So it's sort of a metaphor for um, how much of what you put on your um, webcam feed or all the internet in general, how much of it is you. Can you still hear me? Why are you waving? No, I'm waving because I'm on my webcam feed. Oh, okay. On the internet, putting yeah. out myself. Yeah. I'll start Cam... taking off my shirt in a minute. Oh, please do. I'll start mm. tipping you. And um, mm, you yeah, it, it, it talks about how much is appropriate to put um, put put of yourself out there, really, um, before you start to lose... Um, who you are and start, you know, becoming sort of a plaything for the internet. And interesting. It, yeah, it it uses this idea quite literally. So this girl who is a webcam girl, she's got quite a popular channel. She wants it to be even more popular. And the only way she's gonna do it, she thinks, is to break some of her rules. So she doesn't typically appear nude. Um and she doesn't do anything too sort of perverted but she starts to do things that are more and more out of kilter with what she said she would, wouldn't want to get involved with just to get more viewers. And there's a point in the film where she's, she does something that really um, sort of goes over the edge of where she wanted to be going. And uh, the next day she tries to log into her account and she can't. It turns out someone else has already logged in but it is her that's logged in somehow. And uh, the rest of the movie is exploring her, trying to figure out how someone else who looks exactly like her has taken control of her channel um, and is misrepresenting who she is as a person, um, not just on the channel, but in real life. So it's like it'll start going around her actual house and getting involved with her family members and stuff like that, that, she hasn't actually done, but other people think that it's her doing it. Right. So yeah, it's an inter- interesting um, sort of exploration of how far you can let your own personality and your own reputation get out of control to the point that you can't get it back. Um, mm. Quite a literal interpretation. Okay. So it was interesting, but okay. not as good, not nowhere near as good as Get Out. I'll ask you after the podcast if it's uh, supernatural bullshit or if it's just her losing her mind. Because I'm curious as to which way they're, t- they're taking that. But uh, don't say now because that'll be a big spoiler. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, I think I just wanted to mention a couple of things we mentioned a week ago, though, because uh, they, shall not grow, they Shall Not Grow Old is still worth talking about. 
uh, even though we're two weeks now or more away from uh, the 100th anniversary at the end of World War One and yeah. uh, Remembrance Sunday. Uh, have you had a chance to watch it, Richard? No, I haven't yet. No. Please find the time. I know you'd find it fascinating. It's an incredible piece of techno technological uh, filmmaking that Peter Jackson has done here by recoloring um, and in the most realistic ways possible, not like sometimes the slightly garish recoloring you say see on the History Channel, but he's recolored, retreated uh, all this footage from World War One to the point where it makes it look like it was shot yesterday. And it what it does is it kind of takes away that uh, mystique we've built around uh, some of that history from that uh, from that conflict and then yeah. it's completely narrated only only narrated uh, by actual recordings of uh, survivors uh, and uh, veterans of world war one um, before they passed away which most of them i think most if not all have now done um and uh, yeah in the 70s as well so back when they were less um maybe looking back at things, you know, a bit more patchily negatively. So when they all had their faculties and it's absolutely fascinating how most of these guys treated it as at the time, uh, a good lark, uh, a change of pace from the times down the down pit, you know, or down factory. So it's, it's, uh, it's really, really amazing documentary. It was on BBC. Right. I was going to ask where. Yes. So you can watch it on iPlayer. Hopefully it's still on iPlayer. And it's moving, upsetting, but also, it gives you a real different uh, take on that conflict. You know, it, it's absolutely fantastic. I'm looking it up on IMDb and some of the keywords are peculiar. Okay. Well, World War One, fine. Yeah, yeah. 1910s, fine. Male rear nudity. Oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a scene. There's a scene where they're like showing the dudes how they had to take a shit. And uh, they're basically all sat along this pole hanging over a ditch and yeah. the guy telling the story is about how 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 they guffawed when said pole broke and all dudes ended up in ditch covered in their own shit <laughs> um that would probably be your male rear nudity i suspect okay. um any other keynote any keywords that you'd that's like to no, query that, that's the one that stands out <laughs> that's uh it's <laughs> It's great because, it, yeah, because it tells the day-to-day. -day. It's not about the grand strategies. It's not about – it doesn't really ever make it clear exactly when in the conflict any of it's set because it's not about that. It's about, yeah, the human experiences of the conflict. And, uh, yeah, it's absolutely mind-boggling. When you see the shots of No Man's Land colored um, to the point where they look like, you know, you're seeing them right now. You look out there, and it's, it's desolation that's hard to grasp. Um, mm. But it does a better job of it. I've never, I have never, I don't think, understood the reality of World War One as well as I have after watching that documentary. Um, mm. it, it genuinely is uh, an incredibly impressive piece. And if you're into, you know, recent history, because that's what it is, uh, well worth checking out to everybody. You know, just incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So please do that. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it this afternoon. Richard. It would be a good Sunday tea time watching if you uh, have the time this evening. Um, yeah, and I just quickly mentioned. Uh, have you seen The Night Comes for Us yet, Rich? Another film I know you'd be all up for on Netflix. I've watched the trailer. I have added it to my watch list. Watch it. I'm waiting so for Sarah good. to sit down with me. She so, so has um, a finite appetite for subtitles, so it's waiting for the right. It's day. not. 
it's not super wordy it's it's much more about the action this movie kind of like the raid you know because it's made by the guys yeah. who made the raid it's not like sometimes when you watch those films from hong kong or asia or korea yeah there's just dialogue and dialogue and dialogue and he, you know i don't mind it but it's easy to miss sometimes key moments and stuff because it can be so wordy that is not this it's a very simple premise basically uh bad guy triad enforcer finds his humanity again when he sees a little girl that he's meant to murder um after killing her entire village he decides to save her turn on the triad and it's about him trying to get away from that life while uh they send basically an army of their own enforcers to get him um mm. and just wipe out everyone in his life as sort of revenge and uh it's got the most brutal gory fight scenes it's absolutely brilliant mm. um it's so hard hitting incredibly well shot um i think it's it's, it's possibly I, I think i preferred it to the raid too um but there's something about the simplicity of the original raid that i still really really enjoy however this is absolutely fantastic um so yeah the night comes for us please do check it out anything you'd want to quickly mention from your viewing from three four weeks ago now <laughs> oh what should i mention i, I, I do want to mention the sinner because um yeah. yeah we talked about that quite a lot last week which won't be heard now um so i'll mention it's that in the greatest podcast of all time yeah the greatest podcast of all time so let's try and get some of that magic back the sinner is a, another netflix show now on its second season um, the first season focused on Jessica Beale as a murderess, and um, uh, it was—I was going to say Bill Murray. It's not Bill Murray. What's the actor's name? Who's the I haven't seen it. President in Independence Day. Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. Yeah, <laughs> Bill Murray would make it a very different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So Bill Pullman is the detective of the piece, trying to work out why. Jessica Biel has um, stabbed someone to death in front of her family uh, for no apparent reason. So it's an interesting twist on the whodunit genre because you know from the first scene mm. whodunit and it's just trying to work out, well, why the fuck? Yeah. And um, trying to eke out suspense and tension intrigue over 10 episodes when you already know or you think you know everything that's already happened. So it's um, it's an interesting spin on the genre. Second season, no Jessica Biel, but it's about a kid who does um, some murders in his family. And uh, again, similar shenanigans. Bill Pullman working so, out what's going on. It's good. So off of your recommendations last week, I told my wife about this and added it to our list. And she, yeah, I think we're going we're to watch it. I'm intrigued by how that works, definitely. Yeah. Um, restructuring the formulas in that way for that kind of procedural sort of stuff, I'm, I'm very curious. So, yes, we are going to check that out, definitely, based on your recommendations. So. Cool. A um, couple of things I wanted to touch upon outside of Crossing the Streams. I got a new iPhone. Did you? I got an iPhone XR which is which is huge mm. um been three years since i got a new phone um i'm less and less bothered by it but like you know getting new phones now it's not really what it used to be when especially when steve was running the show um it's very good the screen is incredible uh, i actually quite like the extra size getting used to it a little bit because it is about 50 percent larger than the phone i had previously um face id is evil black magic that works flawlessly super impressive uh, I can be waking up in the morning without my glasses on, for example, in the dark, and it will still unlock when it sees my face. 
um so yeah it's quite impressive technology that they've got in there and yeah the, the the speed of it what i might find myself doing is actually playing some games on ios now for the first time in a long time now that mm. i've actually got a system that can handle it um so i might start delving into what's available on that platform because it is a more and more viable every every year it becomes a more and more viable gaming platform um so i might well start uh, looking into that a little bit um but yeah it's a good phone it's a phone it's weird that isn't it? it used to be a big event getting a new used phone. To, yeah you'd be well excited wouldn't you yeah uh but the technological you know innovation between each model now is less and less um the, the thing i'm enjoying the most is that i used to go i'd gone really small on storage locally on my yeah. phone uh, because it's like i'm doing everything in the cloud but i actually i think i went too small what, what the reason for that is because as the fidelity of screens has improved uh and you know the assets required the actual space required by an app has increased like yes. on average, so I was actually struggling with storage on my old phone. Uh, and in addition to that, of course, as playback quality has improved in audio, especially yeah. in podcasts, which I listen to a lot of, the average size of a podcast has gone up from, say, 30 megabytes to over 100 for pretty much mm. everything you download now. So again, my, my space was being eaten up from that. So yeah, I really needed, I, I more than like quadrupled the size of storage. Uh, and we got a really good deal, haggled with the old phone provider, was like, look, this is what the competition's offering. You're going to bring it down from that, aren't you? Because that's ridiculous. And got them down to a much better price with a nice amount of data. So that, that worked out quite well. Yeah, I will cool. say the wife did all of that. Well done to her on that regard. She did Well done, wife. Job. Well done, indeed. Uh, but back to video game related. This is awesome, Rich. Highly recommend. If you can find this book, check it out. You'd love it. Uh, I have been reading. I can the try and get that in shot. Console. The Game it? Console. Yes. Yeah. So this is a historical book that goes back through every, well, it's not going to be every single games console because there's been a lot, but it covers a huge amount of game consoles from the very first generation right up to today. And so each page or double page spread explains a bit of the history of the hardware. It will show really nice pictures of all the hardware. It will sometimes do the exploded shots as well. So you can get to see the insides and, and stuff like that. Uh, various specifications of it and stuff like that. And if you're, so if you're into your games consoles, like I am, it's it's really the best bit isn't necessarily seeing the ones you know about it's looking at these crazy things from say the 16-bit era that you weren't even aware existed until mm. you just looked at them in this book like these crazy experimental consoles from manufacturers that because of the boom times jumped in and then just as quickly jumped back out again of the medium you know after two years of failing sales and things like that it's an absolutely fascinating uh, book um quite hard to get hold of in the uk i couldn't get it from amazon amazon's delivery was like two months and I, I, I was like bummed out. I'd given up. And I just happened to see a copy in my local Waterstones. I was like, yep, buying that. Um, it's fabulous. Yeah, it's really, really cool book. It's just called The Game Console. It's by Evan Amos. Um, so by all means, look it up. And yeah, it's all about photos. So there's information in there, but it's mostly um, a visual suppository. Yeah, it's a great book to have. I've been absolutely pouring through it. I've nearly finished it. Um, yeah, just fascinating stuff in there. Really interesting. I think you'd love it, Rich. Yeah. So do you say the more interesting stuff is the obscure stuff? What is in there? Uh, what do you mean what is in not there? not heard about. Oh, all right. Let me see if I can find one. Hold on. Putting me on the spot here. I'll test your knowledge. I'll tell you what I'd like to see again. The Conix multi-system. Do you remember that? No. That was a no, 16-bit no, I remember anything that Jeff Minter was involved with is probably... Um, in, interesting to read about because most of it bombed the about... system had like a million different add-ons and even had a sit-in 
sort of mobile chair thing. What? That sounds crazy. How about no, the RCA, the RCA Studio Two, or the Coleco, uh, Coleco Telstar Arcade, the no. APF MP One Thousand? What a Not brilliantly named piece of hardware that is. That <laughs> that was brought out. That had all right. So it started at one six nine dollars. Had a, a Motorola six eight hundred at zero point eight nine megahertz processor. Had sixty four colors. Had a whole kilobyte of RAM though. A whole kilobyte. Uh, 12, 12 total games were released. 12. 12. Um, <laughs> it was made by somebody called APF Electronics. They also <laughs> produce stereos and calculators. <laughs> there you go. There you go. The Bally Professional Arcade, the Video Brain, the Intercon VC4000. God, I love these names. God damn, they're bad, aren't they? Uh, yeah, it's just... It's fascinating, like absolutely fascinating. Uh, loads of great pictures. The guy basically, if you read the introduction, it's interesting. He started off on Wikipedia being frustrated at how poor the, the photos were for consoles. So he was just going up there, you know, taking pictures of his own collection, trying to update it and stuff, trying to give them a high res images for reference. And then he did, basically the book got published off the back of a Kickstarter, which he used to fund him going out and buying all of this this hardware himself. I, think, I, I don't know if it's all his own photos, but I imagine of his own collection. But I imagine the vast majority is. So you know, it's it's a real labor of love. And he's done he's done a fantastic job. This guy, uh, Evan Amos. Credit to him. Really cool book. Really really cool book. Uh, put it on your Christmas list, people. If you if you if you want to give your loved ones a challenge, because I certainly struggle to find it. Um, but yeah, really. You can really download cool. it. It's available in ebook. Oh, you can get like a PDF. A PDF. I mean, yeah, sure. But it's the kind of coffee table book thing where I want to I want to have it as like on my shelf behind me or downstairs on the coffee table so I can just flick through it, you know, and it's it's nostalgia. It's interesting. Great for great, great photos. Really, really nice. Uh, bless you, Richard. And thank you for muting yourself thank as you, you sneezed so violently. Uh, <laughs> I was very professional of you, but I thought I'd draw attention to it anyway and now talk about it for a considerable amount of time because that's the kind of podcast we are. Um, I wish I had anything else you myself now, so then you would have <laughs> heard the the quality. Of it was really good. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to bring up before we get into the news? No, let's do some video game let's news. Do please. some news, some now incredibly irrelevant news that happened fucking months ago. Yay! Look, we were originally in the best podcast ever recorded, talked about in depth XO eighteen. I don't think that's so relevant now. So let's just mention that Xbox has acquired two new studios in the form of Obsidian and InXile, um, both of them known for their incredible RPG outputs from over the years, uh, especially Obsidian for Fallout New Vegas and for uh, Night Zero Republic 2, uh, both of which were fantastic games that were rushed to release and therefore came out buggy and ended up kind of getting finished by their own fan bases. But hey, they're still really, really good games. Um, and then In Exile, best known for Bard's Tale, I think, that entire series of fantasy RPGs. Um, but yeah, that's some cool acquisitions. I mean, I'm excited to see. The rumor is, and I don't, actually, it's not a rumor. I think they've confirmed Obsidian is going to announce at the VGAs next week what their new project is, which looks like it's going to be completely fresh IP. Um, whether or not that's going to be the first new Xbox exclusive announced don't know i mean because they've said they're going to be uh you know possibly still multi-platform at least on some of the the games they're currently working on so who knows how that's going to work but do you think what do you think rich you think we're going to get our first next generation xbox exclusive game announced mm, no i don't think so i think 
I don't know. I, it's really hard to call because they've muddied the waters with this latest generation of console refreshes with the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X. Mm. I don't know. It kind of makes you think how much of a big deal are they going to make of the next iteration? Is it going to be a clean break? Or, uh, it's a good question. A small step up. It's a good so, question. Yeah, I think I we'll have we're going to be talking about next generation releases in the same way that we have in the past. I don't so, know. Because the, the reason... I'd, I'd expect them to have a crossover with the current gen, you know, so they will still work on Xbox One. So you're, you're talking about games being forward compatible. Um, yeah. I think that's possible. However, I think the marketing terminology will be about a next generation. Um, it's so important for the Microsoft that they bring out their next Xbox and fucking smash it out of a flipping park, mate. Um, because they don't want to be in second place. Look, it's not a bad second place. They're still shifted a ton of units, but they want to be in first place. They want to be leading the charge. They don't want to be following. It's just in the nature of them, you know, that that's, that's the Xbox mentality. Um, I think they have to talk about it in the terms of next generation. I really do. Um, because that's what will sell the units. More than anything else, you can't can't you can't keep the iterative phone model system doesn't excite people. Look, I was just talking about my new phone. Was I excited about it? Not really. I mean, no. it's a nice to have the upgrade, but it's not. It wasn't something I was clamoring for, you know, and had pre-ordered, and I was excited for release day. You know, it just just happened because my contract was up. Um, so I think I think they have to they have to push. They have to push. Um, I don't, I'd however, say, think. Can't really say new iPhones are a fringe interest. They do get hype, and people. Yes, are but it isn't what it was. It isn't. It isn't the same hype that it used to be five years ago, is it? No. It's calmed down a lot. Uh, and I, I, but, I think but, what you're saying is right, but it it's just contextual within whatever time period you're talking about at launch yeah it will be geared towards people like you and me that get excited about new releases and it will be all hands to the pump to say right this is a new a new console you need to buy it because we're the early adopters aren't we yeah we're the idiots that buy the early hardware that then breaks yep but that doesn't go over particularly with the general public who don't feel the need to upgrade from dvd to blu-ray let alone 4k you know yeah it's weird how dvd still exists that, that kind of blows my mind every every time i see them in the shops mm. this is like how is this still a format at this point but still yeah you're right it carries keeps going doesn't it um but to get back to that original question i posed is obsidian's thing going to be an exclusive reveal for the next gen probably not uh i think it's more it could well be exclusive but i think it's more likely that they'll be talking it in terms of current generation uh yeah. than next it's just too soon they haven't announced hardware yet we'll talk about that shortly because we've got some hardware stuff to talk about in, in regards to xbox um but yes anything you wanted to bring up a bit in exile not as well known as obsidian they they do have the history they have released a lot of games and they are known for the single player narrative rpg maybe not on the same level as obsidian but um i still think it's an interesting acquisition especially if it gives us a bit more depth in that first party portfolio uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. Uh, with that. I don't really know of them, so it's, to me, it's more about making up the numbers. The more studios they have, the more yeah. games that they'll have coming out. Well, which is, more, you know, the more games that they can try and develop and fail and cancel, and it doesn't completely, re- you know, destroy their their lineup because it's like everybody oh, keeps, br- yeah. yeah, everybody keeps bringing up that flipping platinum game. What was it? Um, Dragon, uh, Dragon Scalebound. 
Scalebound. Scalebound. Yeah. It still gets brought up all the time on the internet. Oh, Scalebound. I was really looking forward to Scalebound. It's like, you look, you know, it happens. Game Games don't reach the milestones. They don't go get to where they need to be. They have to get cancelled. That's yeah. that's creative entertainment for you. It doesn't, not everything can get released. But, yeah, you know, people... Right, there's nothing else to take its place. That's the yeah, problem. That's that's the problem, yeah, because that's what people fixate on. Uh, the other thing quickly mentioning from XO18 is we have a release date for Crackdown 3, which is February the 15th. I think they'll hit that. I think you'll, they'll be chucking that out of the door regardless on February 15th. Um, <laughs> so, you know, at this point, it looks like they've scaled back a lot of what was promised with the destructible environments to just quite limited multiplayer modes now. Yeah. Once again... This is like Scalebound. This is a case of they promised big, they shot for the moon, they've not been able to achieve it. But the problem with the crackdown is that it's first party and they can't really not release it. Um, so I, I you know, and they and they're aware that they don't have a big lineup right now on this generation. So they this game has to come out. Um I, I suspect if they thought they could get away with cancelling it, they they might have done it maybe even 18 months ago. Um but uh you know that game is now gonna limp out past the finish line and probably be what a seven out of ten a three out of five that, underwhelming experience i really like crackdown but i'm really not expecting very much from crackdown three i think th this is another uh, consequence of their poor lineup over the past couple of years that they probably wouldn't have announced it so early mm -hmm. um, at the point that they did announce it i'm sure they didn't have very much to show for it but what else were they going to talk about you know so, well, it's 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 another the other thing that's a counter to their weak lineup is every first party game will be included in Game Pass. I can tell you right now that wouldn't have happened if their their lineup was twice as big as it is. You know, it, it's a case mm -hmm. of it's a case of they they they're using the Game Pass incentive to mitigate the problems with what they have. Um, and I think yeah, the fact that Crackdown's included day one on Game Pass means a bunch of people will be playing it, a bunch of people that would not be buying it um because it is yeah it's just the way that that's gone however you know you still get your forza's horizon which is a fucking phenomenal game as part of game pass so you know you can't you can't argue with that as an initiative game pass is awesome i won't go through all the games like we did last time uh from x018 but a bunch of stuff is coming to game pass like a whole bunch of stuff um including hellblade that service has gone from you know you and i talking about how it wasn't really for us because we buy loads of games anyway and what, how much is there going to be on there for for us to really get into? To me, having a subscription through to 2020, I'm all over Game Pass now. It's mm -hmm. such a good service. Absolutely. it's it's. Um, I, I'm not quite as locked into it as you are, but I, I kind of get these three-month subscriptions, which I seem to always time for a bit of sale being on for them. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm up through like April right now next year, but I'll just wait until I can get another three months really cheap because they seem to push that all the time. Um, so probably around Christmas again, something will come up. But yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on. Let's move on to the next news story. A bit of a, a bit of a sad story. This one, man. I was bummed about this. Um, strategy guide maker Primer Games shutting after 28 years. They're going to be fully closed down by January 2019. And I'm sure you you've got at least a couple of guides from, of theirs, yeah. You must do. I've got a couple, yeah. Yeah, I've got, I, I've got a shelf full behind me, literally. Mm. Like I, I, you know, I'm just going to bring up bring up one. I've got my Halo Wars here, official Primer strategy guide from from back in the day. And uh, yeah, I didn't always buy them to cheat my way through, but it was kind of like back back then there were less artifacts you could you know that you could buy that would be tied into the games you loved. 
So yeah. it's kind of like you might want to just pick up that guide to have another thing to look at, you know, when you weren't able to play the game or maybe to optimize a playthrough later to get all the achievements or unlock all the content or something like that. So I've got all the Mass Effect ones. I've got all the Fallout ones. I've got all the, the big RPG ones, you know, often special editions of them, often ones I barely ever read. But, you know, things that I just like to, to have to show to show my support, to show my love of that franchise. And yeah, you know, in recent years, they tried to diversify a bit more into art books and and stuff like that, as well as just guides. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm bummed, bummed about that. Really, really bummed out. It's, it's, a, it's a shame to see another physical media element of video games that that is going the way of the dodo. Um, yeah, it is a shame. I can't say I've helped their situation because I've not bought one of their books for a long time. I think since I've gone completely digital, I've not yeah. bought any guidebooks either. And uh, even before then, uh, there was few that I would buy because it always felt a bit cheesy to buy uh, guidebooks. Mm. So I'd only get it for special cases. Like you say, maybe if it was more of an artifact for a game world that I particularly appreciated, I wanted to see some of the art in print form. Um, it's nice to have that sort of thing, isn't it, as an accompaniment? Absolutely. That was that that was the thing for me, definitely. I mean, um, in recent years, they did things like bundle digital codes in with them as well which yeah. I thought was really cool. And I, I actually ended up using things like that quite a bit for um, uh, The Witcher 3, for example, so I could get as much uh, of the collectibles and find them more difficult to find things and stuff like that, yeah. Um, I Oh, by the way, hello to those witching, uh, watching uh, live. Hello, Luke, uh, as you have uh, joined us there. I will uh, <laughs> try to answer your questions as well. I've only just opened up the chat window. Terrible hosting, I know. I'm really sorry about that. But, you know, I often forget. I often forget to look at the chat. But I'll, uh, I'll ask you a question shortly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so no more Primer Games. It's the end of that. End of an era. End of an era. Let's move on to the next story. This is the big one from the last month. Can you believe this? I can't really comprehend an E3 without Sony, without PlayStation being there. And yet that's what we're going to get in 2019. And this is after... Many of the big boys have already left. Nintendo doesn't really do an E3 conference anymore. Uh, Konami doesn't make games anymore. Um, you know, we've lost EA from the proper show. They, they, they do their own breakout thing now. Uh, Activision barely shows up. So really, the only person at E3 2019, the only, the only big boy is going to be Xbox. So I, I just, I mean, how do you feel about losing Sony like that? It's a big blow to E3 overall. I mean... I don't know what they're going to do instead. I, you can understand that they might want to take some time off if they don't want to show very much this year because they've had bad press for phoning it in mm. um, the past couple of years and, and just sort of showing the same games um, and really giving the same messages. And it's, it, it doesn't go down well, and it, it just gives them negative press more than anything. So, yeah, if they want to dip out, fine, but... It does make me worry for the future of E3 because it is a big event in the year. Mm. And it's uh, something the hardcore gamers like us rally around. It's like our Christmas. It's like it's like it sets us up for what's coming uh, in the rest of the year. It makes us hyped for the big console announcements and hardware announcements that are on the horizon. And, you know, yeah. I guess now where we're at with the Internet and with PR and, and stuff like that, they feel maybe the best thing to do is get out of these situations so that they can spread the message out a bit and it doesn't all get lost in a, in a single week of, of clamoring noise. Um, that is one of the best things about E3, though, isn't it? That it's, it's all awesome. together. 
I and love it. It's the one point in the year where they all sort of cross over and people talk about who won. Like it's a direct relationship mm -hmm. between these uh, console manufacturers and game publishers. We do that every year. Yeah. We do that every year. We do a, a suite of podcasts and videos and then we talk about, you know, wrap up who won the show. Well, there'll be no talking of who won this year because the only one there is Xbox. Mm -hmm. So we know who's won. And I mean, what this means to me, what I'd be... I'd be willing to put 20 quid down that we get hardware announcements from Xbox in this E3. Uh, hardware in terms of next gen or? Well, I'm, I'm being a bit cagey in that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> intentionally, sir. Um, we, we've sort of tied into this and actually news that broke on the same day as this was that there is a strong rumor coming from good sources that Microsoft are going to be announcing a kind of suite of new hardware for next year including a discless uh xbox one to bring down the costs um and that and also a revision of the xbox one s as well with a disc so to change up the the family of consoles now what that makes me think of is when they released the redesigns of the 360 to make it look and sit more comfortably next to their xbox one so when yeah. i hear redesign at this point in a cycle i think Ah, they're trying to bring the style of the family together. Um, I think we'll get, I think I could see a presentation, right? Where they go big on their studio, more studio announcements. We get exclusive game announcements. We then get the discless Xbox One announcement. I don't think they'd announce a redesigned S One S at this show, but then they close the show on 2020, fall 2020, Xbox Two, for sake of a better name. Mm. You know, so it's all... And then it's like, here's your here's your games, your studios, your this year's hardware, your next year's hardware. You know, they won't necessarily show you know, the Xbox 2. They won't necessarily go into details, but you get a hype video. You get an acknowledgement that it's coming. You get a release window. That's that's kind of what I could see them doing. We've seen the formula before, haven't we? Yeah. I'm just really interested how they pitch it when it comes along because the message when the Xbox One X came out was so strong, so um, <laughs> so it? much of a, yeah, it was so much of a mantra that they were not going to leave anyone behind. Remember they said that over and over, but... no one gets left behind. Everyone that can play on Xbox One X will get the best version, but if you're playing on an old one, you'll still be able to play the same games. So what you're talking dumb. about when they were when they were talking about when there was the, the window of about a year when we had cross platform releases because they didn't announce back compat until a couple of years down the line. I should, no, I'm assuming they, that's what they, you mean. They did say um, Xbox One X would be significantly better than. I'm the sorry. X. I'm sorry. You're talking about the X. I'm sorry. I thought you were yeah, talking yeah. about the announcement of the original Xbox One. My bad. No, no, no. Sorry. But yeah, when the X came out, they they were pushing it as a next gen experience. It was going to be significantly better than what you already had. Yes. But the, their mantra was no one gets left behind. And yep. that's remained true. There aren't any Xbox One X exclusive games, but if you can get um, an X enhanced game, you can really tell a lot of the time. So you're still, you still think I, that. I wonder not... if they're going to still push it, push that sort of message, and how they're going to balance mm -hmm. that, how they're going to walk that tightrope of making sure that they preserve the integrity of the uh, marketplace that they've built up where you can buy any game from almost any of their systems and play it on anything um, to then bringing in a next-gen system that they want to present as something new but also isn't isolated from the rest of the family. Do you know what I mean? It's super difficult because mm. a large portion of the people that spent all that money on the X 
clamoring for exclusives clamoring for things that only work on the x it's like well what because they want something to show for your purchase don't you you want something to brag about to evangelize you know to really promote as a reason for picking up that hardware i feel like there has to be a line i just i really do i mean it's a it's so difficult otherwise how do you announce new hardware without everybody just going why would i bother there has to be something about it that you can only get from it you know all right so so i don't think that has to be taking experiences away from older platforms though i mean i, I don't feel that's undermined my enjoyment of the x no, and, and not for us because we're 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 hardcore and we can appreciate you know the 4k and we can appreciate yeah. the, the texture enhancements and things like that but but there has to be something i think if you're going to announce a new a new generation there has to be something that sets it apart so is it ar vr is this the, is this the platform you have to have to have the new multimedia experience you know is this where microsoft come out and comes out and does that hmm. do people care i mean i'm not can you imagine <laughs> new the xbox 2 now with ar vr Headset included has to be purchased with the headset. Oh, uh, it was like with the Connect. Oh yeah, that. that went well. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. That was that was a good plan. Um, so yeah, I I would suspect Phil wouldn't make that mistake again. Um, mm -hmm. But but they've got to do something otherwise. Otherwise, what gets you excited about it? What makes you want to go and pre-order it? If it's just a bit more powerful, um, you know, every game every game is sixty frames. Right, every game can play sixty frames uh, and will be four K native. Right? Is that is that all you can say? If that's all you can say, it's not it's not thrilling, is it? No, it's got to be based on the experiences. Um, because at this but... point, at this point, we know it's a PC in a box. Right, all the next generation consoles are PCs in boxes. Right, yeah. that's that's what they're all going to be. That's what the PS Five will be. It's what the Xbox Two will be. Um, so you know all that is is more power so if that's all that is then you you the only thing you can do to delineate is say there are games that's only going to run on this so it's it's uh, I, ooh, I i don't envy them i don't envy them i think i suspect you're correct i suspect you're correct and it's iterative and it's forward compatible however they the, might the, the they might, lose they might not that. be they might name it as if it's something entirely new but i think for the integrity of the marketplace they've built up they're all about um their marketplace and not the devices that you play games on or yes. use their services on but they've done that because they've lost they've done that because they lost this generation they've done that but you know that's why game pass exists mm -hmm. that's why that they've focused on the experience rather than the platform i don't think that means they don't want the platform success i still think they want that and they would want that in the next generation um i can't imagine phil can convince the board that it's not worth fighting i really i, I, I really can't they've done it because they've lost i think it's a coherent message across all of their markets so they're doing it well obviously they've lost in mobile but it wasn't but planned it wasn't it wasn't the don matrick plan to do no, that pivot but it is the satya nadella plan mm, maybe uh, across microsoft entire vision that they're about services and not products. But the question and is, would that have happened? That's true of their mobile strategy. That's true of their Windows strategy. It's true of their gaming um, strategy. Mm. Everything is the same. I'm curious, man. It's going to be really interesting E3. Mm. Uh, really, really interesting E3. Um, 
who knows it's Okay, so we talked about that. We talked about the uh, the potential hardware revisions we're going to see. Um, I think more than a hardware revision, I'd really like a dashboard improvement. Would be nice. Um, it's just the speed. I can't believe, right? This the weirdest thing, Rich, that my Xbox One X's um, dash actually seems to perform worse than my S um, because they've done nothing to optimize it for the better hardware. So it's, uh, it's just bizarre to me. I don't know if that's true. I mean, when I first got my X, it seemed a lot quicker, but now not so much. Yeah. So I don't, I don't yeah. know if it's just, uh, I don't know, maybe it, I need to just delete a load of stuff, start again. I don't, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's that, man. I really don't. But no, I think, you know, they could do a sign. I still prefer the idea of the interface to the XMB, but man, the responsiveness of the XMB on PS4 is something else. Um, mm. So it would be nice if we get somewhere close to that. But let's move on. Um, this is this is some good news, sort of. Work has resumed on uh, the final season of The Walking Dead. That is really good news. Why do you say sort of? Because they, it's not like they rehired all, all of the people that lost their jobs who were working on it at Telltale. They they got like a few people back. So it's it's not it's not the best news. It's like but there's not been any why? there's not been any talk of. Is there going to be compensation improvements for those guys? Is they are they going to get you know any kind of money from this deal? Are they going to get any money from the sales? They're, they're being very cagey about all of that. Um, I would imagine not. Well, so in that case, should you support that? Should you buy the rest of this season? I think so. Yeah, I mean, they're not. They were never going to be able to re-employ everybody. Firstly, because a lot of them will have moved on to other jobs by now. Mm. Um, the fact that they are finishing it for the people that have already bought it, that's great for consumers, great for fans of the series that want to see an end to it. But um, really, the the real issue with this that we had when we first talked about the story was that there were going to be a lot of people that have worked on the series that were out of pocket, um, been treated very poorly without any notice of the studio closure. Um, some of those will be able to find work in other places but for those that have been able to go back to the walking dead and finish it off that's great for them I mean, i don't want to put words in their mouth maybe they are doing it begrudgingly maybe they really love the idea of finishing off what they started don't know but it seems to me that it's the most positive thing that could have happened from the studio closure from that train wreck yeah, yeah. okay i'll give you that i mean let's wait and see Let's wait and see what comes out. Uh, you know, maybe there'll be more details about remuneration and, and, and compensation and, and things to that effect as we get mm -hmm. closer. Um, so let's move on. Let's move on to the kind of uh, actually before we get onto that, let's let's quickly touch on this story. Uh, I'll change the order a little bit. Uh, Rebellion, makers of the 2000 AD comics of um, various video games, of movies and stuff like that. So they've done, you know, the Judge Dredd, they do Rogue Trooper. They're opening up a brand new film studio just outside of Oxford, which isn't directly related to games, but it's worth mentioning because Rebellion is this kind of giant multimedia company now that that has done very well for itself. They obviously obviously made Strange Brigade as well, uh, and they're involved with the Sniper Elite series, I believe. But they, they, they have done a good job in diversifying they obviously put out a lot of comics. They're the 2000 AD guys. Um, but yeah, they, they make movies and they've got Duncan Jones making the Rogue Trooper movie in this new facility, which supposedly is going to be up and running in the start of 2019 because a lot of it's already sort of suitable for making films. It was an old paper factory. Um, putting money into the local economy. 
you know good filmmaking is going really well right now in the uk we're actually doing you know lots of stuff is getting created over here it's really uh boom time for that in so uh sorry until march <laughs> what, what do you mean <laughs> uh well brexit's not supposed to be very good for film, film brexit's not probably going to be good for anything so yeah. <laughs> i mean let's just try and look on the positives while we have them richard god <laughs> damn <laughs> harsh my buzz i mean come on are you not excited about a rogue trooper mo movie made by that guy who made the world of warcraft movie yeah uh, yeah I'm already he also made moon new, new judge dread stuff yes yes, yes. Yeah, he also made Moon, which you can't rewatch now because it stars Kevin Spacey. And Kevin it's a bit Spacey, awkward. I don't remember him in that. He's he's the computer voice. Oh yeah, of course, of course he is. Yeah, so you never never rewatch that movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, is this the Judge Dredd TV show that's potentially involving Carl Urban as well? Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, so that's cool. I don't know how likely that is? I've heard people talk about it, but. but I heard that as more of a dream scenario than something that's actually happening. Is it okay. real? I, th so. I think it's more like he what he would love to do it, but whether or not he ac can actually make it happen, I'm, who knows? You know, it's, it's scheduling, it's money, it's all that boring shit in the, to do with that kind of thing. So, yeah, who, who knows? But, you know, I think it's always cool to see these sort of big facilities getting opened up in the UK, and that's not far from where I live. So I might pop down, see if I can meet Carl. That'd be cool. Um, but let's move on from that little story. Let's talk about Fallout 76. <laughs> Fallout. Uh, and I'll use this. The Fallout you, uh, from Fallout. Yeah, and I'll use this excuse to talk about the game as well. I think we'll do that now. But um, okay. uh, do you want, do you, should I talk about the game first? Before I talk about the news stories? Um, yeah, Hands up. Uh, let's talk about the awful shit about it first. All right, let's talk about Baggate. Yeah. Let's start with Baggate. Um, so there was a special edition of Fallout 76 that was sold to many people who hadn't played the game yet because it wouldn't have sold to them now. Um, who you got a bag, you got this canvas bag which had your power armor helmet in it and the game and all this, and it was looked great and it was high quality. And then what they actually received was not a canvas bag, it was a cheap, shitty nylon bag. Um, and then there was a lot of confusion as to why some people, some customer reps, sales reps were saying it was a cost issue. Some said it was a supply issue. Um, and basically PR had to get on board, um, after this sort of started becoming a big thing on Reddit and actually give an official statement. Uh, and it's just been a big confusing negative mess basically reddit is now organizing demanding refunds demanding all kinds of money back i mean this has been a fucking train wreck of a release so far for bethesda i mean they even said at the time it came out at the time it came out that they that you know players are gonna have to bear with them and, and help them make the get fallout into the game you know it should be after you've spent 60 dollars on it after you've dealt with microtransactions that's what they're saying to players this is not an early access game if your game isn't ready to come out, if you need the players to help you make the game, don't put it out. What are you fucking doing? Um, but yeah, the bad gate's just on top of all of that. And it's just like, it's just a really bad look. I mean, is canvas that hard to get hold of? I mean, is it is it that expensive? I, I, I can't imagine it is. This is not a cheap collector's edition. For Christ's sake, just give them the bag, man. And so compensation, though. Oh, it's very generous very generous compensation uh you get 500 atoms if you send proof of your purchase to bethesda which equates to about four pounds of in-game currency uh which can basically buy you nothing 
in the in-game store it's it's a tiny amount you can't it's quite funny actually there's like a costume in the game that has the bag like yeah. you're you're you can't even afford to buy that with 500 <laughs> atoms which is pretty fucking guys what are you doing um it's just a mind-blowing train wreck this uh and on top of that we just had a story that came out like yesterday day before uh about uh, a group of players that were harassed horribly um by a bunch of homophobic teenagers in america uh, and chased around the world and picked on and with slurs because there's a proximity chat uh, in fallout so if you stood near a player you kind of have to hear what they're saying um which makes sense in the game but is also well troubling for these reasons uh and then these players had real a real hard problem just being able to report this harassment there's no function to do it in game they had to try and take it out uh using the xbox live service itself which didn't work and then they were tweeting at bethesda and then there's a reporting system on the bethesda website which kind of didn't work and broke for them so they went through a huge rigmarole and finally these players got like a four-day ban and then and then bethesda looked even more closely at it and gave them perma bans but uh, i don't know if you have the story up richard i think it might be amusing if you do to quote what said perpetrator of heinous acts said in his defense um because it's uh pretty hilarious uh, at least he's honest have you got it there rich um just getting up now i'm gone just, yeah, just uh, what he yeah. said, the guy was at least honest wasn't he um with what a gross gross person nathan really the is. hick Nathan the Hick is a senior in high school, and um, his his account of what had happened was, my version of the incident is more or less the same as the public has taken it. The only difference has been the fact that I don't hate gay people. It was just a late night of having fun, and after the first encounter, we thought it would be funny to offend them somehow. By the way, they're streaming this. This is, this is entertainment on the internet for people, FYI. Yeah. So you can call that evil, but I think it's just playful immaturity. I don't regret the incident. I won't apologize. Um, I don't plan on doing anything like this again in the future, but no, I didn't plan it. I just found these people and decided to do it. So I, I mean, <laughs> he's not sorry. He's not sorry. <laughs> um, and he might do it again. <laughs> That's what he says. I love it. He's honest. He's like, yeah, I'm a dick. Um, I'm probably going to be a dick again. Um, I can't help myself because I'm an immature piece of shit, uh, Nathan the Hick. You are an immature <laughs> piece. Of shit. Uh, and now you are perma banned until you fucking get another account. Anyway, um, I mean, yeah, like you said, you've got to respect the honesty. Yeah, I mean, but I think that the story for me is how difficult it was for them to be reported. Well, yeah, that... I mean, it's not a fallout issue, is it? That there are homophobes playing video no. games. Big no. news. But yeah, it, there needs to be some way of doing this. Is a, this is a, this is a, a small scale MMO for intents and purposes. A server holds twenty four people, um, so you can have that many people on the map at the same time. Uh, but there should be in game systems that help you deal with this. You shouldn't have to use um, the ineffective at times Xbox system or PlayStation system to block these people because that's all it does. And you can. It's very difficult to sometimes report people in that manner. Um, so, the, yeah, for an MMO type experience, there needs to be an in game system. Uh, I'm glad Bethesda took the nuclear option, as it were, uh, and banned these people, obviously. This is what they deserved. However, yeah, it's just one of a million problems with this game, right? A million problems. Um, it's been a little while since I played it now, actually, which has been about three weeks, because I'd be honest with you, I've not gone back um, since my review, because why on earth would I? Um, it's. 
it's weird it's a fallout game without first of all the main thing you kind of notice is it's a fallout game without much in the way of story um the fact that <laughs> that's the fact kind that, of an issue yeah it's kind of an issue in an rpg um yeah. there are no human npcs or quest mm. givers everything you every quest you get for the most part is from the environment so you'll find a dead body which will have an audio log you play the audio log and blah 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 tells you to go somewhere kill something or go somewhere pick something up or go somewhere and do something it's just so tedious there's no characters to it so all that promotional shit we got from Todd at uh, E3 about it being just like any other Fallout single-player RPG. It's not that. It really isn't. If you're not playing with other people, it's an incredibly hollow experience that just doesn't hold your interest. Uh, beyond that, it's like, it's so weird that they say this. And so I'll give you an example of a gameplay moment that happens to me. I pick up an audio log and it's long. It's playing away as I'm walking around. It's got, it's, it's weirdly quiet. Like I had to mess a lot with the audio settings in the game to actually boost up that and put the subtitles on just so I could follow what was being said. It was like, it's almost like Bethesda aware you don't give a shit about the story when you're playing this game like yeah. it's it's really weird that uh but the worst thing is i'm walking along I'm, I'm halfway through this audio log and i come up to a protectron and it goes halt halt uh, person and that <laughs> stops the audio log and then you have to start it all the way from the beginning again <laughs> brilliant and it's just like you are actively trying to make me ignore the story because there's nothing in it it you are aware that you have created a very pretty environment it's a really nice expanse of wasteland and, and there's forests, there's lots of variety, there are there are towns. Um, you know, it's it's you you're out of the vault much earlier in the timeline. So it's their their excuse for there not being NPCs is that you will become, as it were, in the in the history of Fallout, you will become what becomes the sort of populated wasteland. So at the time you come out, there isn't any survivors, there aren't any rebuilt civilization because you're yeah. the first out of the vault. Um, but, but it's just an excuse for an empty environment, you know, <laughs> so the only things you deal with are monsters and creatures, um, ghouls and ghoul like creatures, and then other players, um, which you can or cannot interact with depending on what you, how you want to do it. Uh, obviously the base building is here, like, but it's, while it's been, there's more depth to it. There's more you can do with the base building. There's almost like less reason to do it in a weird way uh, it, it just feels unnecessary like it did in fallout 4 but you know it's helpful because you can build like your crafting benches that you can then have at your have at your little camp however yeah. you find them all over the place they're in like a lot of the areas you go to and stuff so you can you know a few minutes walk you're, you're bound to find the bench you need of course there are six different type of bench armor weapon gadget uh chemical biological uh crafting you know your soup your cooking your building it's just like it's so unnecessarily obfuscated everything is just it just feels poorly designed poorly thought out mm. uh, I, I like the look of the game they're still using this engine that i feel like they've been using since fallout 3 and it's starting to really show its age when it comes to character character models and monster design and then it's full of bugs <laughs> full of bugs just like server crashes where you get kicked out to the menu and you have to come back in um falling through the world uh clipping through in scenery I, I remember fighting a dude and i thought i was fighting one dude and then three dudes came through the wall and fucked me up and i was just like what <laughs> like, <laughs> moments where you'll clear a room and then you'll be walking to leave the room and then and literally the enemies will spawn in front of you like they will just they're on a timer and they just reappear 
like there's the it's so badly thought out it's unreal man it's just like this wasn't tested you threw this together in five minutes and chucked it out the door um i can see where this game could end up there's potential here for this game to be awesome i mean it's it's kind of a nice balance of survival light elements to it where a non-survival gamer like myself can still enjoy it you've got to manage your food you know your health um, your hunger, sorry, and your and your thirst. You got to manage your rads, rads, but it's all quite easy as long as you're picking up stuff as you walk around. Um, the weird thing is, you're walking to a town, right? And two thirds of the buildings are boarded up, and you can't go in them. Hmm. And it's just like, what the fuck's the point then? This is all just set dressing. Then you'll go into a room, and there'll be thirty crates. However, you can only open two of them, <laughs> and it's just like. I don't understand if the whole point is that I'm going around looting stuff or, or then you'll open a crate and it'll be empty and you'll open another crate and it'll be empty. And you're just like, well, what's the point of all this set dressing if none of it has a purpose? And I, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't it doesn't have the thought that goes into it. Like, do you remember you know, play PUBG, right? You'd go, if, you, if you saw a building, you could go into it. Right. And if yeah. you saw weapons on the floor, you could pick them up. Mm-hmm. You could use them. It, it's like that game understands how that should work. Like everything had a sort of purpose. Whereas in Fallout, they've decided they've got this middle ground where it's like half the thing, not even half. So a few of the things are useful, but most of them aren't. So you're just walking around kind of aimlessly hoping to find the ones that are. Um, it, it's it's frustrating, mate. Um, but yeah, the, the you know the bugs will get fixed. I suspect you know they'll support Away. the game. Yeah, I gave up on Fallout after Fallout 3 because that game never got fixed. That was an absolute mess. I enjoyed it for what it was, but it was a it destroyed itself with bugs. Um, so I didn't really play Fallout 4, not had any interest in Fallout 76 because I just assumed that it would be a disaster, technically. I mean, it sounds like design wise, it's crap as well. I mean, I kind of knew it wasn't for me from the announcement, right? I'm not interested in multiplayer survival games. I'm just not. But I was willing to give it a go, you know, for, for, you know, if it it had been well made, if it worked as a Fallout game, it just doesn't and it isn't, you know, falling through the floor and, and glitching through walls. and, And there are just, it's just a lot of bugs. Even for a Fallout game, it seems broken. Um, I don't just want to get on the on the hate train. It's a it's a shame that it's like this. It just needed more time. I'm not I'm not sure. And it's I understand Todd was like, do you remember at the, the conference and every time it says it's experimental, um, it's new for us, we're trying it out. You know, lots of caveats. It almost felt like he didn't have faith in the project even then. He yeah. knew it was going to be a mess. Um, and what I I like the way they were talking about had the most people working on it ever. You know, they've got the Zenimax people. They've got all these people. It actually feels like they've got like a small B team working on this and everybody else is doing Starfield. Because mm. there's like a massive amount of asset reuse going on. Um, there are these giant flying lizard creatures. I can't remember what they're called that are like the boss level creatures that are flying around. You'll occasionally see them in the environment and you can fight them. They're all like level 50s. Yeah. However, they are basically reusing the assets of the dragons from Skyrim. Uh, they they look the same, they behave the same, they fly around in the same way, they do the similar attacks when they land. You know, they've changed the look of them a little bit cosmetically. They've, but but you can tell immediately that that's just a dragon from Skyrim, and you're just <laughs> like, what? Like, did any work go into this game? Like, I just don't get it. It's so weird. But you know, 
it's quite pretty. Like at times you'll be looking through the forest and the God rays will come down and then, you know, it will split through the trees and you'll be like, Oh, that looks nice in HDR and, and 4k and all of that. That looks pretty good. Um, when it, Oh, <laughs> the biggest problem I had was the frame rate problems. I haven't even mentioned the frame rate issues. So you'll be right. So VATS has been gutted because the whole point of VATS was you could pause the game or slow time down to improve yeah. your targeting. Well, this is a multiplayer game, so you can't do that. That yeah. wouldn't work, would it? So VATS doesn't pause anything. So all it does is give you a hit percentage on the head as an enemy is running straight at you because that's all the enemies do in this game. Um, they either run straight at you to hit you with something <laughs> or they run close to you and then shoot you. It's yeah. very, very, the, the AI is super basic. But then, so it does nothing. So the, the VATS isn't there. So you're using iron sight targeting on your gun. But the problem mm -hmm. is the servers are so unstable that you're getting frame rate dips down to single digits on a semi-regular basis. So you try aiming something with an iron sight accurately when being swarmed by 14 mole rats all at once you know I'm, I'm just you know i've got a flipping shotgun equipped and i can't hit anything and it's just because it's just impossible at times because the servers are so shit and it and i'm sure that'll get improved and they'll sort that out i'm hoping but it's just laughable it's just it's just like comedy like i'm just like this buffoon like fumbling my way around this world like oh i can't hear anything Ooh, frame rate it's it's just it's nah man it's so bad give it like wait for it to be 20 quid in six months time maybe look at it then if you're at all interested otherwise don't go near this game just don't you know uh, it's bummer <laughs> serious bummer i hate um, to be proven right with stuff like this because fallout should be one of the top tier franchises going it's got so much going for it, and then yeah. they just squander it like that. It makes me really, 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 really worried for Starfield. Mm. Because if they're going to, as they've said, they're going to keep using this engine. Uh, I think it's likely that they're going to want to put a multiplayer element into Starfield. Um, it's going to have, you know, this has got microtransactions up the wazoo, even though it's a fucking $60, 50 quid game. Um, it's mostly cosmetics, but you can, you know, buy you know, materials, which is basically cheats if you want um yeah i i'm worried for starfield i was really excited about starfield and now i'm genuinely concerned um because they need to do a lot of work on that engine to make it work especially if it's a next generation game they need they need a new engine they need to i don't know zenimax well they have they have the doom guys don't they they have it get yeah. them to give you sort you out with a better engine do something because what you've got is trash and it's showing its age like a lot um Fingers crossed. I'm going to come back to Fallout. I'm going to give it some time. I'm going to let the patches come out. Uh, maybe about six months. Maybe the summer next year. And I'll go back uh, and I'll give it another go um, because it has potential. Um, that's all I can say. That's the only positive thing I can say about it. Really, you can see how it could be a good game. It just isn't right now. I don't think it's going to be for me. Fingers nope. crossed for Rage Two. Eh? That, oh, that'll be my. That's game. it. It an avalanche. I have more faith in. Like yeah. I think that could be really good. Uh, so that, that, that's Fallout 76. Uh, check out my full review on the site and on the YouTube channel. Uh, Richard, why are you talking yeah. about something? I could do with a little break. Uh, I, well, review-wise, I haven't done a lot recently. Yeah, done a lot. Um, let's yeah. talk about Actung Cthulhu Tactics, which I am playing on Xbox. Um, regular visitors to the show may have already seen our review of, on the PC. So our man Chris has done a PC mm -hmm. review, which was really well researched. I'm not going to pretend that I've got anywhere near the insight that he's had, because uh, he's actually played the original board game that it's based on. Mm -hmm. um, I have, however, 
played Space Hulk Tactics recently. So my perspective is more in comparison to that, and particularly how Space Hulk made the most of the new medium that it, it's brought the game into. So it doesn't, it didn't feel like a board game. It felt like a proper video game, just translating all the rules of Space Hulk into a more interactive, dynamic, animated environment. Axon Cthulhu Tactics doesn't really do that. It still feels very much like a board game. It looks like a board game. All of the backgrounds look as if they've been built as a, a diorama in Games Workshop's um, storefront. You know, it, yeah, it all yeah. feels very papier-mâché. Uh, lots of greys and browns. There's not, there's not very much of interest in the environments. It all feels like it's just been plonked onto a table, right? The characters themselves, you start with a squad of four characters. You're stuck with them for the whole game. They don't change. And then, I suppose, superficially distinct from each other in that they've got different names and different character models. But in terms of behaviors, there isn't a massive impact uh, between the different moves that they have. They don't have much of a, a, a difference, a different effect on the enemies or the strategy that you use. Um, the idea of the game is that it's called Cthulhu Tactics. It does have elements of um, Lovecraftian literature in here, but not as much as you would think, given the name. You think if you're going to slap that name on it, it would be tentacles coming out every orifice, right? But it's not anything like that. It's much more, uh, at least in the first uh, few missions, it's much more interested in um, sort of a, a vanilla take on uh, the Nazis during World War II. Uh, but this is an alternate timeline where they've got access to um, sort of arcane uh, abilities and um, you you'll start to see Shoggoths and um, different types of Nazis turn up with uh, monstrous appendages. So it starts to be become a bit more interesting, but never to the point that it feels like it's a horror game. It doesn't have that sense of foreboding and paranoia and, um, you know, the, the sort of atmosphere that a proper Cthulhu game gives you is not that. It's very much a tabletop experience. There's pieces on a board. Some of them look a bit tentacly. You shoot them and then you move on to um, another field, another tree stump, another rock over which you'll find some more Nazis with bits growing off them and that's kind of it <laughs> there's elements in the background that you can interact with and it's really odd because it's there's very little visual flair in this for you to look at anything and think i want to know more about that part of the background i'm going to go over there it will just be a little icon on the ground to say you can look at this if you want so you'll walk over walk over to it press a to select it then press um, right trigger to say you want to interact with it, and then press A again to understand what the interaction is. It's a very weird system. And then at the, at the end of those three button presses, you'll get a line of text that says, this forest has interesting history. <laughs> <laughs> it's where all the Nazi appendages come from. Yeah, it's just really weird. There is There is no substance to this whatsoever. And... Mm. Giving it the name Cthulhu, it, it works fine as a sort of strategy 
um, shooter, um, a, a sort of small squad uh, strategy game. It's okay. You move your people around. You put them behind a rock. That gives you more cover, more likelihood that you won't get shot and you can shoot someone else. Fine. It, it works okay in that So regard. It's so strange but, to me that you'd pull all the interesting mythos out of a game all about interesting mythos. That's it. it I don't understand why they've called it Cthulhu when they've not put any real effort into building that world. Bummer. Don't get it. So I can't really recommend it. Um especially it because it wastes that franchise but also because it doesn't really feel like a video game to me and that to me that is the point of stuff like this space hulk did it really well it got me immersed in the world and it, it didn't it did a really good job of hiding the systems and rules behind it behind all the visual flair this doesn't it just puts it all up up, up front and center there's loads of ui elements that you can't get out of um and when they're plonked in in front of a drab world anyway, it just detract, detracts even further from it. So I couldn't really get involved with this. Okay. Okay. You've got some words coming later on today or something? Yeah, half done. I'll uh, get those over to you later today. So um, Battlefield 5, V, V5, Battlefield V5, whatever you want to call it. Um, would you like my thoughts, Richard? Yeah, I'm interested in Battlefield 5. I, I do want it if I could ever afford another game again in my life. but um. Guess what? Tell me about it. Guess what? Go on. It's a Battlefield game. <gasps> Is it? Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty good. I yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, I like it. I, 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 you know, it's really difficult to find things to keep talking about. I started my review actually saying, do you know what? They should take a year off because there's too much of this. I, it, yeah, I hope. I think they might take next year off. Right. I really do, because they've got a, a big plan for content support going forward. That's all going to be free and it's not, you know, season pass locked like Call of Duty does. And they've got the they've got the battle rail mode, rail mode coming early next year and stuff like that. They should definitely take a year off because the, the whole genre is oversaturated right now. Um, this is a perfectly good example of it. However, it's a lot like Battlefield 1. Like there aren't really any new modes. Uh, they've they've expanded upon the operations mode and turned it into grand operations, which equates to single multiplayer matches taking upwards of an hour. <laughs> like one game, mm -hmm. you'll be in for an hour or more um, because it's multiple maps. It's over multiple in-game days, and it certainly feels epic. It really feels huge, and the maps are brilliant. The way they evolve, the destruction is the best it's ever been. Literally, there are maps which have these villages or towns at the start, and then by the end, they are completely gone. Like, what will be 100% leveled from artillery, from tanks, from, from you name it. They, they're just wiped out. Um, one of the things that I thought was weird that they seem to have removed, you know, the juggernauts. Do you remember in Battlefield 1 with the, you'd have the big ship, and you'd have the big the train and the airship and all of yeah. that stuff. That's not yeah. in this, um, mm. which I thought was a bit strange because I really liked the idea that you'd have something that would go to the t the side that was getting completely annihilated, and they'd be able to come in with some support to try and even the battlefield. Um, and it would work really well in the grand operations maps and the game mode. But yeah, they've got rid of that. Um, they've gone more for boots on the ground to steal a Call of Duty terminology, um, and it and it works well. You've got you know, it's all about class specific stuff now. So you're back to having weapons that you can only use. 
uh, in the particular class. And I, be, I believe Battlefield 1 had that as well, but it seems to have even doubled down on that even more. You've got multiple leveling systems. You know, you've got your classes that level, but then the weapons level as well. Um, <laughs> so there's things to unlock and customize about how weapons play, which is quite nice. For example, I play as the medic predominantly. I like playing that support class, uh, and I like their SMG loadouts. Uh, and within that, uh, I have a particular uh, particular submachine gun that I like, which I can... There's like two branches to to specialize it and I, you can specialize down the iron sight row route or the hip fire route for example like do you want faster reloading or do you want um more accuracy from the hip as an example um mm. so you know you can choose how to customize your character there's lots of cosmetics the microtransactions that when they are enabled inside battlefield will purely be cosmetic um there are already things to buy from the store but you can only buy them using currency you earn in the game Mm -hmm. um so you can have different outfits um my squad is entirely female uh both for my allies and my axis because i don't know that's fun isn't it that's cool um i have some silly hats i have a couple of silly outfits it's quite cool i like that it's, it's, it's a laugh um but yeah it's battlefield isn't it i mean like what what um, what can i say that isn't been the same you know you spawn in your squad you spawn at supply points you can spawn into vehicles now like always um you know, air combat feels good. Vehicle combat feels good. I'd say time to death is a bit quick that they are looking into tweaking that at the moment. The new story just came out. You maybe go down a little bit faster than you used to in a battlefield game, which mm. feels a bit more like a call of duty uh, rather than I always found battlefield was somewhere between uh, call of duty and halo. You know, it was kind of in that middle area of yeah. if you got shot, you'd have time to react and you could drop the enemy. It's a bit too close to in this um, that if an enemy sees you first, you're dead. That's um, why I always preferred Battlefield. Yes, it same. Because I'm, I'm not the fastest. I'm not. A no, it, it, it gave you a chance to outthink your opponent, get yeah. behind cover, go prone, dive off an edge of, a, of something or over something into cover. You know, mm -hmm. now it feels a bit like as soon as you're seen, almost you can get dropped. Um, but spawns are quick. You know, you can get straight back into the battle again because you can spawn your squad. They've actually brought in this um, squad camera now. So you, when you're looking to spawn into squad onto your squad, you can see what where they are like it shows you what they're doing so instead of just saying ah oh, jim and you see the map overlay you can now actually see what they're doing when you spawn into them to give you a better idea of what class to go in with or what you need to be ready to deal with um mm -hmm. which is which is a nice improvement um and it still has those crazy moments you know in my first match i was uh, going through a village in rural france i'm fighting my way through i, I you know and all of a sudden the spitfire pretty much lands on top of my head and I'm like, what's up? <laughs> it doesn't kill me. And I jump over the, the, the wing and I'm shooting a dude who's coming over to find out what's going on. <laughs> you know, and I kill mm. that guy and I'm going around a corner. Yeah. So it's got those it's got those battlefield moments you only get from battlefield. That's all still there. And it's all what makes it still my favorite type of shooter. Um, it's still a lot of fun because there's so much variety to what can happen. You know, there's not that many maps in there at the moment. Um it certainly in early access felt quite rough. Like there were some glitches and stuff, but that seems to have been massively patched since the game went live. So things are much more stable now. Um, it's got that weird thing like ba that Battlefront had where it takes you ages to quit out, which is still really frustrating. Yeah. You know, when you go quit to menu and you've played enough. Yeah. And, you, but, and it takes so bloody long. Like, 90 like what seconds is it doing? Or, yeah. Yeah. I, it, that's still there. And I, I, I still can't understand why that takes so long. That can be frustrating when you just want to quit the game, but you don't want to lose your experience points. You know, you don't want to lose what you've gained. Because mm -hmm. if you just hard quit, you're going to lose all of that. So, you know, you want to save it. Um, that's odd that that's still a problem. But 
yeah, it looks great. Um, it looks really, really nice, no doubt about it. The single player is pretty good fun, though. I had a I had a hilarious glitch in that, which I told you about in the the greatest podcast never to be uh, recorded, um, which was hilarious in that first mission where I was, I'm fighting, yeah, I'm fighting a bunch of like uh, at Stukas that are attacking me on an AA gun, and I w- I sort of shoot one, and then it flies behind a, a mountain, and I lose track of it, and I shoot all the others down, and then there's just one target left on my on my on my hud and i'm like where the hell's that that why isn't it moving and this is one target and it's not me oh god is it glitched out am i am i fucked am i going to do this whole thing again so i start walking towards this waypoint and i find this stuka and it's like parked in a gully behind a mountain outside hmm. of the play area and i'm like are you are you kidding me it's like it liked it dived out of the way it should have exploded but it didn't or something and it's just stuck still there and thankfully i can just about take a few pot shots with my own rifle to like blow it up and then progress the mission there's like that that would have been really irritating if i hadn't been able to get to that um but thankfully i was able to so yeah it, yeah it's a bit it's a bit it's a bit buggy a bit glitchy as battlefront games always are but there's kind of a charm to it unlike we were just talking about fallouts glitches which are just sort of frustrating and irritating yeah. The actual core gameplay in this is still good is still solid uh the gunplay still feels really good um there are some really fun maps i mean even though the, the only problem is that those grand operations maps they're a real investment in time because the the to and fro it takes so long but it is so much fun you can play of course team deathmatch and uh smaller scale matches but i feel like if you're doing that why have you got battlefront or oh, battlefield i should say you you know why are you bothering with that play call of duty you you want to be playing those giant conquest maps or the giant grand operations matches those those are what it's all about um yeah, uh, that's that's kind of it, man. Like, it's good. Three mm-hmm. stars. That's what I gave it. So I had a good time. Any questions? As you're, you know, you know about the series. Anything you want to know? I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just a time thing for me, but I used to, I used to really, really love Battlefield Three, Battlefield Four. I put a lot of time into both of them, and then kind of just fell off it with Battlefield One. I'd like to get back into it again, but I just, I don't know. It, it really sucks time, doesn't it? And if you're saying that matches now take an hour, I'm thinking this might be even harder for me to get into. Um, not all matches. Not all matches take an hour, but but some, some, some can certainly take a long time. In Grand Operation specifically, yeah, because it's like each Grand Operation is actually like four multiplayer matches almost yeah. across these different days and the, and the map will evolve and change um and it will go to different locations and sort of within the same um within its same sort of setting yeah so yeah it's a bit strange it's a bit mm. strange but it's good fun it's good fun yeah i'm sure i'll get it at some point because i'd like to do the campaign at least uh, maybe yeah the story is good man it's got you know the there's some fun stuff in there that goes across different um environments of the battlefield and different environments of world war ii that you wouldn't necessarily have expected uh hmm. it really deals with some different kind of stuff which is kind of fun like yeah the norway and south of france uh the and the first one was all about this dude getting recruited from prison because he had some experience trying to blow up safes and he was re- being requested into the uh, recruited into the sbs uh, mm-hmm. which i thought was quite fun and there's a lot of like over the top like lads sort of like london voices mate <laughs> a lot of that going on um which is quite amusing but yeah it was good it was good fun but i mean it's very much like take a break guys take a break we've had a lot of this this is very similar to battlefield one um yeah with a few more bugs but 
they've, they've already been mostly ironed out. So it's, it's okay. Richard, the yeah. gardens between that just ended. Yeah. You were trying to get me to play it. I haven't had a chance yet. I'm definitely going to look at it soon. But yeah, tell me about the gardens between. Gardens between. I was looking forward to this because um, I'd heard about it on another podcast and was waiting for it to come out for Xbox. I think it's been out on Switch for a little while. Um, but the Xbox version's just come out and it's gone straight into Game Pass. So ideal, really, because for a game I was considering buying anyway, don't have to now. And it's just as well because it's only about 90 minutes, two hours long. And if you are going to buy it, it's about £17. So it's quite a lot for what you get out of it. But while it lasts, great experience. The Gardens Between, It's um, the title refers to the space between two friends' houses. So one okay. of the friends is moving house. The other one has been left behind. And the game explores the time that they've shared, these children, and the, the fun that they've had living next to each other. So it starts in a treehouse between the two houses at the back of the garden. And they're not, um, there's no discussion there's no narrative in this there's no um dialogue at all um but it explores their memories with each other visually and um it plays out over sort of abstract worlds that incorporate the things that they've done together so it might be watching a video and then you'll walk past this You'll walk through this environment that has a huge upturned VHS recorder in it that you have to interact with, or it might be playing video games or looking through a telescope or all manner of different things that they've done together and have fond memories of. Um, and they're work they're walking through these abstract environments and through time. So it's it's sort of exploring the things they've done and the time that they've taken in doing them and all you can the way that you play it is really odd the all you can do is go through time or rewind back through time there's right. literally no other controls you don't directly control the two characters they walk through the environments independently but only when you tell them to so it's um pushing right on the stick or holding down a right trigger to go through time forwards or left to go backwards and there are points there are moments in time where pausing matters or interacting with the background at a particular point matters so it might be that um you uh, walk past uh, as you're walking forward it's raining and then a raindrop will fall on something and you need to stop time for that raindrop to have an effect on that thing rather than let it fall and bounce off. Um, or the, a lot of it is gated with sort of keys, uh, keys of light. So one of the characters is carrying a container and she can pick up a ball of light within it, which will unlock a gate further on in the level. So some of it is, uh, you know, that. Um, cup and ball trick where you've got three cups and you put a ball under it and you've got to work out yeah. which cup the ball is in yeah it feels like a, a video gamification of that um, trick in some ways so there'll be levels where there's lots of things jumping around all over the place you've got to work out uh, the thing that you need 
that has the ball of light on it. Um, how do I get to that? Where is it come from? And can I rewind in time to where it's going to be when I get there? That sort of thing. And you, you've got to work out, what well, is it that one or that one? And there'll be all sorts of things crossing over um, behind and behind the environment. And uh, it sort of tricks you as to what's actually going on. So from the opening moments of it feeling like there's not much to this, all you can do is go forwards or backwards and you can't even control the characters. It feels like it's going to be very linear. It works out really clever ways of complicating your navigation through the environment. And um, it, it, it just feels as if by the end of it, it's actually, it's not hard, but it feels like you've been challenged and there's satisfaction in getting through to the summit of all of these environments um, through some quite inventive means. It doesn't even really repeat the same solutions. There's quite a lot of invention in there on the most basic mechanic you can think of. Um, so, yeah, I think visually um, I really liked it. I like the idea that it's exploring um, very personal uh, memories and relationships between these two characters and um, the mechanics of it. You know, I just love that when someone comes up with a really simple idea and does lots with it. I think it's such a Nintendo thing to do. Um, I really appreciated this. So even though it's only 90 minutes, two hours long, um, it's well worth your time if you can get hold of it. So give it Sounds a go. Sounds awesome. Yeah, I, I, I just thought from what I saw of it, it was another one of those like narrative-driven, emotional, uh, point-and-click adventure type things. Uh, I had no idea it had like such interesting mechanical stuff um so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna definitely i downloaded it i'm gonna check it out i'm gonna check it out i might try and mm. play it this afternoon or something It'd be a nice sunday afternoon game i think to chill out to yeah so I, might, I might do that that sounds awesome uh i'm gonna talk about now this is surprising right? the best game i reviewed in the last few weeks is project high-rise architects edition on both mm. xbox one and nintendo switch because i love me some stupid simulation games and this is all about this is like this is like a modern sim tower do you remember mm. Sim Tower? Did you ever play Sim Tower back then? Yeah, I, mean, I had four, I had it on four floppy disks to show you uh, my age about when I played that floppy game. Discs. Floppy disks, mate. That's how far back I am going. Uh, and that was a Maxis joint from way back when. Um, it would have been probably after the first Sim City, but before Sim City 2000. Uh, mm -hmm. And basically. Project High Rise is a similar idea. So instead of building a city outwards, you're building a city upwards, right? So in a tower. So, you know, you've okay. got apartments and offices and shops and restaurants, and it's all about building, expanding, and managing that. Uh, and this is a game, obviously, that would work well on a PC. And this is where the game has obviously come from. It's been out for about a year on PC. Uh, and now it's come to consoles with all of its expansion packs and everything included. And uh, it's a good port. It's a really good port. They've done a good job making it work on a controller. The only downside on the Switch version is that there's no touchscreen support. It would have been really nice. It would have worked really well. Um, mm. However, once again, a feature underused, possibly because the Switch has to work both docked and undocked, even though I predominantly play yeah. undocked. There are a lot of people that will play on TV. So making something uh, touchscreen enabled is a lot of work that might not then get used, uh, which is a shame because I think, you know, placing buildings and expanding the tower just using your finger would work 
brilliantly well. However, despite that, it's still a really, really good addictive simulation uh, city management game. I really like it. There's a lot of depth to it. You know, you're not just putting the restaurants down, but you're also thinking about what needs uh, electrical wiring, telephone wiring, TV wiring, water, air conditioning. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things to hook up and connect. You're balancing your finances. You've got objectives in there as well. There's a few um, sort of scenarios you can go through, but predominantly I'm playing in the just build mode where you can just expand and expand and expand and make the most awesome tower uh, full of businesses and residential stuff and all kinds of things. And, you know, if you watch my video, you can see just in the short time how quick, you know, the time playing it, the, the growth of the tower. And it's really satisfying. It's got a really good feedback loop. You know, the more you build, the more you can build. And it just keeps going up and keeps going out. And yeah. uh, until you build this huge megalopolis in the sky um and it yeah it just works well i mean you've all you know most people know about these types of games know about how these kind of games work have an idea of that i don't need to go too much into that i just think it's a nice console port of a game that you wouldn't have seen on console a lot in the past but something that's made made more possible with the type of architecture that these consoles now have you know that these games can come across quite easily and get ported um you know and we're seeing more and more of them hell i can't wait to see what paradox does with for example with um uh, Stellaris, who knows how that'll work on a console, but I'm very curious. Um, but this isn't made by those guys. I, I, I believe this is published by Calypso Media. I can't remember exactly who developed it. It's been a little while since I did the review. Um, but yeah, it's an awesome, awesome game that I had great fun playing. It's totally my jam. I love the management games. I love those type of sim games. And uh, yeah, it's just really good fun on console. If you're in the mood for something a bit more chill, you know, it's a nice kind of game. You can play at your own pace. You can slow down time, speed up time. And, you know, you can just see you've got that, you know, you can always see how well it's going, you know? Yeah. It's just immediate feedback. You're growing and growing and growing. Um, yeah. It's really good fun. It's really, really good fun. Um, I'll quickly, I'll quickly just jump into another one. I bought Tetris Effect, Richard. You bought I it? I bought it. I know we talked about uh, the demo quite a bit, but I actually bought the full game um because i couldn't wait and it's worth it it's so beautiful oh my god that game is amazing in vr um turn the volume up put the headphones in get in vr lose yourself and man i found myself getting in the zone you know there's a couple of mechanics that are specific to tetris effect you've always yeah. you haven't always been able to hold blocks but that's here but the other thing is this uh zone mechanic which you can activate when you've done enough lines and that kind of pauses the um how to describe it it sort of pauses the clearing so you're making lines but it doesn't make them disappear immediately so what mm. you've got to try and do is then clear as many lines as possible before the before the effect goes and then you get a massive point bonus and all the lines then clear at once um so you know it's still building up and up and up so you know you're getting if you've got six lines that are then or eight lines or ten lines that are queued to clear most of your screen is then full which makes it more difficult obviously but then yeah. it all goes at once and you get a massive point bonus and i was just yeah getting in the zone mate the music is incredible in some of those levels tied in with the visuals tied in with what you're doing you know every time you move a block it will hit a different note or something and it will add to the to the experience it's just the best tetris ever and it's one of the best games i've played this year it's in it's just transcendental it's the kind of game that's a brilliant example of vr if you want to show it off to someone because everyone knows tetris everyone yeah, yeah. gets tetris you put them in there play tetris oh it's just fucking tetris trust me play tetris you know just get in there you will get sucked into that world and you just get into such a rhythm 
I was, oh, I, was I was like in an, a dream state playing that game. Like you just you are the game, and it and it you just sucked into it, and it's hypnotic. And what do they call it? Synesthesia, isn't it? Yeah, That's the yeah. word. And it hundred percent nails it. Some of those levels. Oh man! Oh, oh my god! It's so expensive. Good. It is expensive. I used the credit from trading in my old phone to buy it. Um, yeah. So it is expensive, especially at Christmas <laughs> when you should be buying for other people. That's what you do. Um, but it's it's oh man, perfect, perfect video game, absolutely amazing. And in VR, I haven't tried it outside of VR yet. It's meant to look very nice as well in 4K with HDR as well. I can imagine that looking beautiful on a nice TV like like we've got, Rich. But you know, in VR, even with the slight resolution problems, even with the screen door effects in PSVR, it's not the best VR. It's something else, man. It's special. You just feel completely immersed. Yeah. Um, it's it's incredible. It's incredible. Everybody, if you have a PSVR, for God's sake, get that game. Like, just everybody should get that game. Um, I got. Uh, I went and got some stuff on Switch as well. I'd be mean to buy. Bought Octopath Traveler, uh, which is the big, big Square Enix old school JRPG. Absolutely gorgeous to play. I'm really early days on this. Playing it differently to how I would normally play an RPG. I'm playing as the <laughs> Apothecary. I'm not playing as a warrior. I'm not playing as a mage. I'm playing as a dude who makes potions. Um, and he's this just really... Because that, that, that game is going to go on for millions of years, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. It's kind of my intention is to just have a little game on the Switch that I can just always be going back to. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to try and mainline it, but I'm just going to keep you know chugging along. I'm not even out of the tutorial yet properly. But I just fancied an old-school JRPG, turn-based combat, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous visuals, incredibly well-written, like, fantastically well-written dialogue. Um, and it just, it just, yeah, it's a world. It feels like a proper fantasy world. Really well set up, really well um, established so far. Just having a lovely, lovely, lovely time. Um, what, what do you want to, oh, you played, oh, you played some Donkey Kong. Yeah, it was in the sale, on the Black Friday sale, so... It was only, he says, only, <laughs> it's like thirty uh, quid, wasn't it? 30, yeah, thirty odd quid for a game Jeez. that came out on Wii U four years ago. So not quite a deal, I suppose, in that context. But I'm enjoying that. Um, Nintendo in it, Nintendo platformer. So mm-hmm. it's got bits that are easy, bits that are infuriating that you just want to keep trying until you do them. Um, I am enjoying that. It's been a long time since I've played a challenging platformer that's in that traditional vein i suppose i've played dead cells but you know not the same is it game of the year contender dead cells yes yeah it's uh, up there it'll be on the list is. that um uh, talking about game of the year contenders i've gone back to spider-man oh yeah uh, i want to finish that off have you have you started playing yours yet because i know you bought it uh, barely yeah okay. i went mental last week and bought loads of games so <laughs> not all of them have had a look in we were gonna in the previous the, the greatest podcast ever made uh we did talk about we did talk about the we, we were going to talk about sales weren't we and what yeah. we were going to get and stuff but that's all kind of come and gone now so we won't talk about it like now but uh you put you picked up spidey you picked up got a few things didn't you i can't remember what i did buy but yeah <laughs> so much bought, stuff yeah i bought a, a bunch of stuff my, my credit card was going to be done by the end of December. Not anymore. No, it's just starting. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I went back to Spider-Man. Uh, I'm in the final act. I've, I've, I've gone through about half the bosses I know I've got to face. Uh, I'm going to push through to the end, maybe get into some of the DLC, because uh, that's going to be in my list. That's going to be high up my list. It's a very, very good game. It's made me love Spider-Man in a way I've never loved that character. 
Like I, I am proper into Spider. I'm reading the comics. I've got my tickets booked for the Into the Spider Verse movie, which I'm really excited about. Uh, the reviews have been incredible for that, so really looking forward to checking that out next week. Yeah, um, yeah I, I am in. A bit more time then. I, I bought it specifically because I knew it was going to be one of one point of discussion for the end for the game of the year stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, strong. Um, so yeah, strong I need to put some more time in before Christmas. You did play some superheroes though. You got Injustice Two. Yeah, it was only nine pounds in the sale. Um, there's a lot of game in there for that. Oh, the huge, campaign, campaign's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I didn't really play very much of the first Injustice. So I can't remember if it was the same. I imagine it was, but the way the single player campaign pans out across multiple character arcs rather than it just being here's one character here's them going to buy a pizza at the end or some you know stupid bullshit story that doesn't make any sense at all it does make sense in this because it covers all the characters there's a reason for them to be doing what they're doing um suppose it would make sense wouldn't it because they're all comic book characters that's their strength is the story it's not like it's mortal Kombat or something well, you say that, but Nether NetherRealm started this style of story with the first Injustice, then they brought it to Mortal Kombat X, this kind of skipping around the different character perspectives, and now uh, Injustice 2 as well. But no, they're, they're, these these guys do the best fighting game stories out there, without mm. a doubt. Like, they're really, really good at it in NetherRealm. Yeah. Really, really good. I was playing it thinking, this is, this is probably better than the Justice League movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be hard. It's a low bar. Yeah. Low bar. Well, I the weird thing is that just the the what is it? It's um, BVS Batman versus Superman is yeah. actually kind of inspired by Injustice because it has that bit about you know that bit in the in the film where it's like Dark Superman. Yeah, that's that comes from the Injustice game and the All comics right. that then span off of that. So yeah, it's interesting you mention that because Snyder is it's clearly a fan of mm. uh, of that sort of evil Superman storyline. Uh, mm. But no, Injustice 2 has got a great story. Have you finished it yet? I have finished it, and I've started going through um, some of the more, you know, video gamey bits of it. So mm-hmm. unlocking Who's the your collection. main character? Who's your main? Batman. Who are you trying to specialise? Batman. Batman. Yeah. Mine was Green Arrow. So well, I need to get online and uh, school you on some Green Arrow at some point soon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Show you how do it's that. done. Show you how it's done, baby. Oh, yeah, you know it. Uh, it's got some really good DLC characters. Did you get the Ultimate Edition for nine quid or just the basic one? No, it's the basic one. I figured it wasn't really worth the extra because it was nine quid for the basic one. The Ultimate Edition with an extra eight characters was yeah. 25. There's some really good characters in there, though. Like, yeah. really good. You got all good. the turtles, Starfire. She's really good in that. Yeah, really, really good. Turtles, yeah. turtles are fun. I'm just uh, Hellboy, they're not they're in there? the story. Yeah, Hellboy. They're not in the story though, are they? And I Definitely. figured I'm not going to be playing this with anybody really. I'm pretty much going to do it for, like for the campaign. And if they're not in it, it's not worth paying three times the price. Yeah, probably not. I mean, yeah, the difference, the difference between less than a tenner and over twenty quid is is kind of substantial mm-hmm. when you're looking at sale prices. Yeah, so that that makes sense. That makes sense. I just want to quickly mention as well that I uh, picked up Into the Breach again after already buying on PC. I've now got it on Switch. And I've already spent more time playing it on Switch than I did on PC, which is why I did that, because I'm a chump. Uh, that game is an amazing, amazing little tactical game, little strategy game. It is, is such a cool game. It's so, the idea that you know, you're know you these time-traveling mechs that are trying to go back in time to stop this kind of 
alien invasion well they're actually they're actually kind of creatures coming up from inside the earth destroying destroying the planet and you have to try and just save the day on these little boards these little isometric <clears throat> boards it, it actually plays more like a puzzle game in a way because there, there are definite solutions to getting the most out of each board um and you know using the different groups of mechs that you get uh it has a really nice upgrade cycle it has a really nice roguelike element to it uh that 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 word that's whenever you hear now is starting to sow fear into people in who talk about video games really so sick of roguelikes dead cells however man come on dead cells yes you can you can make these games sublime it does it does happen um and i think into the breach is definitely one of the, the best examples of that that and dead cells um i think into the breach might be on my 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 goatee list i have to check when it exactly came out on pc though it might have been last year but um no seriously seriously good i, I mean the one game that you've got on here which i'd like you to touch upon uh because chris did the review for it and he's sadly not with us right now but uh tell me about farming simulator 2019 to close out the show oh, really i can't talk about <laughs> it too much because um, you sent me this just as i was getting into my massive sale period and bought a load of games i have played it but um i can't say i've played it enough to differentiate it from the other farming simulator games i've played what have i done 2015 and 17 i think so I have a year on have a year off that it's that fallow field period in, oh in, 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 farming yeah. puns yeah, see love it and um yeah it doesn't feel like it's really improved it still looks retrograde uh, it's really low res um low frame rate very little detail there but mechanically it, it still feels unsatisfying what you want when you're plowing a field or um you know laying your, uh, planting your crops and whatever you want it to feel satisfying. So when you've done it, you think, yes, that is a perfectly plowed field, right? Well, that's what I do. It's like popping um, bubble wrap, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You just want it to yeah. pop, then it pops. And there's a satisfaction to doing it. Farming Simulator 2019 still feels like it's a bit too um, imprecise. So you weave in about over the edge of the field when you're trying to get your tractor going over it you don't quite get to the edge when you're laying your seeds so it's slightly uneven i don't know I, I feel like um there should be a bit more uniformity to it to make it feel like it's a satisfying experience i never feel like i'm a very good farmer because it's always too messy <laughs> and um it really harms my enjoyment of it i don't feel like i'm very good um coupled with to that it's always a really hard slog anyway because um, there's so much to do on the farm if you're going to make any money out of it the idea is plant crops harvest them sell them repeat buy more equipment plant more stuff next time it's all there you've, you've got all the bits that you need to do it but it's just i don't know i don't particularly enjoy doing it myself i don't think the the gameplay loop um on the way to achieving that financial success on your farm is enjoyable for me i think they need to do more work around the, the mechanics of it okay yeah i mean to be honest i don't think you did miss that many because they don't come out every year farming simulator 
I thought they did. They sometimes skip years. I was looking at the the wiki page. It's weird. Like the in between mm. years are often their mobile slash B console releases. Ah, uh, right. So they, they don't always hit the major platforms every single year. It's, it's okay. a confusing way, even though they number them sequentially. Um, it's a bit a bit odd, but that that does seem to be how they do it. Um, okay, fair enough. But check out Chris's full review on the site for a more in depth look. He is the simulator expert, as it is. So I think that brings us to the end of this podcast for for the year. This will probably be the, no, this will almost certainly be the last bits and bobs. I might come back with a bonus babble next week to talk about any big announcements slash uh, awards from the VGAs. Depending on what comes out of them, they are airing at like one thirty in the morning UK time on Friday. I might stay up. It depends how VGAs how being the video game awards. Well, they're just called the game awards now, aren't they? I should stop calling them VGAs because they're not called. Yeah, the VGAs. when I said it, I thought, yeah, it's not called that. It's just the game awards now. Yeah, they dropped they dropped it when they I think when it came off of Spike, they had to uh, Keely had to change the name. Um, but uh, yeah, so the game awards, I should say, are on at that time. And yeah, we've got some rumors that then there might be some cool stuff coming out of that. So at least to know about Obsidian's thing is definitely going to be there uh rock rocksteady already uh uh debunked the rumor that they'd be there showing a superman game that's not happening um but there's the rumor is about six big announcements i think they've said so we're checking out for that we you know always worth checking out that show actually there's it's often some fun awkward bits and do you know honest to be honest to be honest as you know lovers of gaming i think it's it's probably it's the, the oscars equivalent for us right and i think it's good to watch that show just to sort of acknowledge and you know thank the creators behind the products we love so much and the games we love so much um because they they often don't get enough recognition they really don't you know the biggest problem with the gaming community the fans is that they see the products and they kind of believe they exist in isolation they don't understand that people make them they don't just appear you know these are made by real people that often don't get a lot of conversation. They don't get a lot of acknowledgement for what they've done. So, yeah, watching the Oscar equivalent for games is, is important. So don't just watch the announcements. Don't just look out for the trailers. Try and watch the show. Try and watch the bits where you see those creators come up on the stage and they take their gong and they're actually you know, accepting something for the hard work they've put in. It is important. Um, especially as the the industry grows and hopefully gets through these these trying times. Um, so yeah, I'm going to check that out. We'll be back early to mid January. Haven't got an exact date yet uh, for our uh, annual Game of the Year awards. We might even have a returning alumni, possibly uh, from crossed. podcasts of yore. We are in discussion and you know difficult contractual debates. You know he's got a real he's got a tricky rider. You know, he's expecting a certain amount of remuneration. I'm just like, I'm not sure we can really get to that, mate. But we'll do our best. We'll do our best to try and bring him back um, to discuss the you know, games of the year, uh, some of our favorites, and maybe some even games of previous years. Um, we're changing We're changing things up, aren't we, Richard, this year? The formula yeah, is streamlined. So it should be an yes. easier listen. Um, <laughs> an easier record you mean richard yeah an easier i don't record. think the listening's any more difficult i think it's the recording that's <laughs> going to be the easier bit yeah for yourself more than anything um but no i like i like what we've done i like the, the new idea it should be an interesting format change so i'm very much up for that um and that'll be yeah in january so have a lovely christmas man to you and to all our listeners yes and merry christmas year. to all Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. I hope you get the games you want, and I hope you don't have to play, I don't know, what, what would be what would suck? Sounds like the PlayStation Mini would suck. That's what I'm hearing. Hope you don't get that. Um, yeah, not not a good 
emulation job they've done there is what I'm reading. I think it's good. It's going to be a very Nintendo Christmas for me. Okay. I'm, I'm getting Pokemon. I'm getting wow. Smash Brothers. Oh, I sorry. know that I've got the Pokeball controller already. Oh my God. I've seen it. I've touched it. Hmm. Um, that's two yeah. games i really don't want so i hope i don't get either of those <laughs> <laughs> well that's a bummer i was kind of hoping someone i know would get pokemon but never mind why can you trade online now yeah. surely there must be like, the bit that's put me off is that that is the whole pokemon go style catching of pokemon they're not you're not battling them i'm yeah, not interested you can in still battle though right you can still only only gym trainers. leaders and trainers yeah, yeah. So that just seems weird. You're taking out half the game. You know, that's what that sounds like. I mean, that sounds to me like the game's going to be really short, basically. Like, if all you've got to do to catch Pokemon is just toss a ball. <laughs> I don't know. I'll see, it's all in the shits. mechanics, and I'll have to see how it feels. But are it, you a, And you're a Smash Brothers guy as well, are you? Because I've never understood that. Um, more in the collectible stuff. I really like the fan service of Smash Brothers, having so many characters in one place. I love that. Okay. Um, so it's more that than the game itself, I guess. Okay. But uh, okay. yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yes. So uh, I'm sure I'm sure I'll speak to you again yourself, Richard, before Christmas. But to all of our lovely listeners and viewers, have a lovely Christmas. Have a great New Year, and we'll be back in January for Game of the Year with hopefully at least one special guest. Fingers crossed. Um, so until then, we're going to say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.